I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm not joined as ever by Jason, like I normally say. Today it is Duncan Campbell from Golf Betting Club. Duncan, welcome. Hi, Tom. How you doing? Yeah, really well, thank you. Thank you for joining me on this evening. Um, we've got two fallen soldiers this week. We've uh, Jason has been caught up and Brad is not well. So uh, it's me and you, Duncan. It was going to be a, a four-man show, which would have been all sorts of fun. Um, but here we are, the two of us, and we've got some good events to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Uh, obviously, you know, sad that uh, Jason and uh, Brad can't be here, um, but, you know, we'll try and make, make up for it as best we can. Uh, got three, obviously, exciting events uh, this week, uh, so really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to keep us busy this week. It's one of those ones where I, I kind of I had in my head that it was like an event I wasn't that keen on on the DP World Tour, which after doing a bit more digging, I'm, I'm not so much feeling that way. I'm quite excited about it. Um and then I was like, Pebbles, the last of the kind of multi-course rotation, get that off the schedule, get done, you know, the seven-hour rounds or whatever. And then I, I kind of just, it just left my mind that Saudi was exactly the same week. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, yes, you know, three events to kind of cover, three events to do content for. Um, and as I'm sure you know, it keeps you very busy in the week. Yeah, absolutely. Like the confusing thing I think for me this week has been all the players who you normally expect to play on a certain tour yeah. are, are, are all playing somewhere else. Yeah. So you, you look at the odds, and you know the odds for Saudis got got a little PGA Tour players, and then there's a there's like a scattering of uh, DP World <laughs> Tour players uh, over in America, and then obviously you've got um, the full kind of field for for um, Raz Al Khaimah. So it's a real kind of mixed bag this week. Yeah, and I think like there's a couple of guys that I just really wanted to back in like Saudi, like longer odds, like people that I've gone to here before. Like I went to Ryan Fox last year, and he's he's obviously in Raz Al Khaimah, and um, I'm pretty sure I went to Alex Levy um, in Saudi as well last year. And it's just one of those ones where like you just it just feels all over the place. Like they've swapped events, and I guess it's because of you know the the points to, on on the tour they want to go on and. Because I know you'd think there's some people that take like a stance and not going to Saudi, which I don't particularly want to get too far into. But it doesn't feel like the guys that are actually in Raz this week are, are doing that. It's more, I guess, maybe thinking that the tournament is better suited to them, a bit less competition maybe, in a, and starts their guns for that. Yeah, I was quite surprised with the field um, in Raz. Um, I, I don't know why, but in my head, I kind of thought that, that some of the bigger names might might take this week off. You know, like your Beesbergers and your your McIntyres. Um, and kind of leave this out the schedule and, and look to come back in a couple of weeks. Um, so the field was actually you know stronger than I thought it was going to be, uh, which which is good and bad in a lot of ways because it adds adds that more uh, uncertainty. Uh, you know, better players, more chances of winning. You know, and so on. Um, but no, no, like really pleased with the fields that we've got and um, yeah, plenty of plenty of interesting things, uh, interesting players. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I agree with that completely. I think that's pretty well summed up there. Let's talk about last week. Let's talk about the the Buyer Desert Classic first. Um, I was on Lee Westwood, so you can imagine on uh, Saturday when he gets to uh, the 18th hole and he's at 10 under par, and I think he's got a great chance, and he uh, he ruins my life in one quick hole. You can imagine how I felt, and then for and then after I'd already given up and him was and was kind of. Um, you know, wrapped up in in the event itself. I then found out it, after getting an eight on Saturday, it then got a nine on the same hole on Sunday. So uh, 
It was uh, hard going for Lee Westwood, but that was kind of my financial interest in it. Um, how did your tips go in, in, in the, the week there? So funnily enough, Lee Westwood was our, was our main kind of man over the weekend as well. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that 18th hole um, kind of cost us as well. You know, you know, we'll come on to it in a minute, but we also provide in-play tips uh, yeah. through the website as well. And um, so on Sunday, uh, we put up Rory McIlroy um, as, a, as a Sunday tip. And it was all looking great, you know, wasn't it, until he stood on the 17th tee, uh, pulled it into the bushes, uh, and somehow made a miraculous par, you know, all credit yeah. to him for the par on 17. And and what was he thinking on 18? Uh, I abs- it just it boggles my mind what he was thinking about with that second shot. Um, you, you know, he, even if he did want to have a crack at it, you know, he ended up playing a fade, uh, yeah. you know, into, into a slight breeze. Um, if he was hell bent on going for it, you know, just fire a draw into the stands and take your drop. Um, it, it just seemed like a like a bit of a kamikaze shot, really. And um, yeah, that 18th hole, I, I won't miss it uh, this week. <laughs> no, you know, I'm really glad you said that because there's a couple of things there. One, I think I was pleasantly surprised with Roy McIlroy on Saturday and Sunday. Like I've kind of become accustomed to getting frustrated with him. I'm, I'm maybe a little bit too negative on him in the past, and, I, and I've tried to clear my mind of that. And and throughout most of Sunday, I was like, you know, this is pretty impressive. Like he's doing everything he needs to do. He's taking the chances where he does, and wasn't as good on the par fives as you would expect him to be, and certainly wasn't on the 18th as we'll come on to, but. You know, it just felt like he was really solid. And like you say, he comes to 17, and and I didn't even I didn't dislike the approach. Like it, it was playing over par anyway. Like I don't think there was too much credit in laying up and go, and you know trying to go that way. So I was fine with him taking the approach, and I actually really appreciated that he stuck to his guns and went for it. Like you could hear Harry Diamond trying to talk him out of it, take a drop, um, and you know, and he chipped out into the rough, chipped again, and made the putt. And I thought that was really impressive. And and to me, like that's what made. 18 so unforgivable like yeah absolutely he he went for it on 17 and i thought and, and i'm guessing what happened on 17 was the reason why he didn't go for it on 18 with the driver but to me if you were going to lay out with the three wood for safety which i kind of understood made sense there's two plays there and and like i just couldn't believe that like you say that the first problem i had was that he had a bit of mud on his ball and it wasn't a significant amount, I don't think. I couldn't particularly see it, but that's what it was saying in commentary. And yeah. whenever that's in, that's an added variable, right? And and like you said, it was just a shot shape. Like Charlie Ford, someone I know was on tour, and, and he, he put a tweet out. Exactly the same thing. That Why on earth was he playing a fade to that flag over water from like yeah. 267 yards? Like you say, there is acres that he could go left. And, and really and truly, unless he put it to six feet, or 10 feet or 8 feet whatever there was no nothing to gain from going the way he did because and to me I don't know how you feel about this Duncan but I, I think that he he's trying to pull out shots now that he wants to have in his recent memory when he goes into the majors he, his, his sole aim now is to win major championships like he's been quoted saying that you know he'd give all of his all the money he makes from now on back for major trophies and the biggest titles and I just think like winning the Dubai Desert Classic doesn't move the needle for him. So instead of laying it up or piling it into the left, getting up and down and, and skirting your way to a birdie and winning the tournament, doesn't so much have as the added value that kind of playing that ridiculous towering fade into the flag yeah. over water to eight feet would really have on him going forward. And I think that might be what he got caught up doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think like there was that quote, wasn't there, when he went to Tiger's house, wasn't it? When um, I think it was maybe when Tiger was recovering yeah. from his accident, and he said that you know Tiger had the the majors on display and at home, didn't it, for Rory about how how much the kind of the majors meant rather than the all the other tournaments. And, and there's probably a certain a certain kind of degree of truth in, in that kind of opinion, Tom. Like, yeah, I think though that the, the kind of emotion he showed after the the event in Dubai at the end of last year. Um, I think I think it does matter to him in terms of these these tournaments, but I, I think that maybe I think maybe you know he gets in his own head and his own way a lot of the time, and, and I think that he thinks that he has to pull off these Hollywood shots to mm. you know to show show the player that he is sometimes, when um you know knocking it down the fairway and, and wedging it on and and taking you know one putt or, or even two putts, you've still got to play off at the worst the worst case scenario, and and back yourself to take Hovland and Bland in a playoff. Yeah, yeah, I like, can understand. Yeah, um, you know, Hovland's obviously like a, you know a really quality player, and maybe he was just wanting to get it done in the seventy-two holes and not have to worry about the lottery of a playoff and and having to face Hovland, you know, in a one-off hole. Um, but oh, like I was just I was absolutely screaming at the TV. You know? Yeah, I, I just couldn't believe what I was what I was seeing, and maybe you know like. The, the conversation I've had in the past about whether Harry is the right caddy for him, um, you know, Harry tried to talk him out of the shot on 17, and, and he he didn't listen, you know, and and fair enough to Rory, he got it up and down, but then I I assume that a more experienced caddy would have just said Rory, you know, there's mud on the ball, the wind's into you, you know, it's it's right on the limit of the three wood as it is, just knock it down the fairway and well let's take our chances. Yeah, um, but I I think that. Like to me, does he? Like I'm saying it from a perspective that, like, like you said there, I, I, I think he does care. Like I think he shows the emotion. I think he does care. But I think that, like, to me, like he just wants to move that needle a little bit further. Like you, you alluded to there with the major trophies. Like that's it. And I just remember him saying about like J.B. Fitzgerald's old caddy. So, so I'm reminding him that like, he's Rory fucking McIlroy. Like when he was playing shit. Like just yeah. like he just needs that push and 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 hitting a three from two six seven over water to a pin. To, to not even have to go to a playoff of Victor Hovland and Richard Bland, just completely crush them. Like, that that means more to him than kind of just playing the safe route. And the other flip side to that is, does he trust himself with a wedge in his hand over water? Like, has that gone? And and that would be another worry for me. So, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, I think he's 60, 70% there. I just don't know, Duncan, whether he can actually get back to the major winning player that he was earlier in his career because I think that the advantage that he had over the field at that time yeah. was off the tee do you know what I mean like you know you had the Dustin Johnson you had Bob Watsons but he was like long and straight and you know just like effortlessly long and now it's like well everybody kind of does that and yeah I know he's worked on his wedge game and, he, and that's getting there now and things like, and his putting's improving but I think that the, the gap's closed between his elite strength and everybody else's yeah, I think there's that there's that chink in his armor now, isn't there? Yeah. You know, there's that I think there's that kind of doubt, I guess, that's in the the back of his mind now. Whereas, whereas before, like Rory, at, at peak peak of his powers, top of his game, would have whipped the driver out on 18, slung it around the corner. Yeah. Um, and, and you know the fact, like 17 is a kind of different tee shot because you've got to fade it a little bit to, to or, or go straight over to kind of land on that green. Um, but but eighteen is tailor made for a for a kind of old school Rory McIlroy draw around the corner, 
Um, and, and the fact that, like you said, he, he you know he got out the three wood uh, and put himself in that that horrible kind of layup zone of two sixty, two seventy, whatever it was, um, that tells its own story as well a little bit. You know, I, I think that I think he should. Well, it's, it's obviously easy to look back and say what he should have done, but yeah, you know, if, it, he, yeah. if, if he got out the driver and left himself, you know, two thirty in or, or even less, it's a whole different story, isn't it? Yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, if he took the driver out and and put it left in the trees, then we we'd be saying the opposite, wouldn't we? So I think that's he was in a kind of no-win situation because he didn't back himself, did he? Right, and I think that the only yeah. way he could get out of that was, like you say, was just to completely, you know, just draw it straight into the stand or the left of the green or whatever. Like he virtually had the same chance doing that, and also I think that he should back himself from 100 yards with a wedge and, and get up and down from there. So, um, but I think yeah, what Victor Hovland that... did put the pressure on, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing about the wedge is the pins at the front, and um, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't see anyone, you know, stop the ball. There was always a, a bounce, and then it would roll out for, for six. Yeah. So, so like, if you if you lay up the closest, you unless you 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 kind of um, hit it between the water and the pin, which is yeah. like not not an advisable. No. Uh, um, but you're looking at really a ten foot birdie putt as your best case scenario. Um, so so maybe you just thought, well, if I get it over the water. You know that's my best chance, but it was more for me the shot choice than than anything else. If you want to go for it, fine, but don't don't play a fade yeah, into don't the fade wind. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the bizarre part. Is that like he knows how to hit a draw. Like he's done it his whole career. He can he could have done that. Um, and and also you just think like you know Richard Brand uh, Richard Bland was forced to to lay up and and obviously yeah. and but he held a, a tremendous part. And like if he can do it, like Roy McIlroy can do it. It's just as simple as that. Um, but Victor Hovland is, is finished on 16, 17, 18, birdie, eagle, eagle birdie, um, trademark kind of things you'd expect from Roy McIlroy, right? That was just absolute stellar finish, 66 in the final day when really he wasn't in it after Saturday. Um, he sort of said himself that he didn't think he had a chance. So him, Richard Bland, both of them, you know, really, really impressive. Um, and, and obviously one had to win it, but, um, going on to yeah. another kind of, go on, Duncan. I was just going to say three wins and five starts, isn't it, for Hovland? Yeah, yeah. it's, 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 it's just... tremendous, isn't it? And everyone's going to come back to the... He now needs to do it in, like, a main regular PGA Tour event as opposed to Mexico and opposed to, you know, in the Hero. They're always going to find something, but at the moment he's just winning the starts that he's in um, and you can't really, you know, fall in for that. No, he's beating... You know, he's not beating... Like bad players, you know, like uh, the fields are, are not, you know, low key or, or poor by any mean, by any stretch of the imagination. So um, you can only beat what's in front of you. And, and Correct. you know, he, he's closed them out really, really well. You know, he closed out the hero fantastically well. Um, uh, and, and then obviously he took his chance on, on Sunday there. So, um, you know, more power to him. And uh, I think it certainly think it'd be a threat in the big events coming up. Yeah, I hope so. I hope, I hope to see him. The next step is obviously to contend these WGCs and majors, and, and I hope we get to see that. Um, talking about people with chinks in their armour, I, I think it would be uh, remiss not to talk about uh, Zalatoris and Luke Lish yesterday at uh, the Farmers Insurance Open. I was on Will Zalatoris. I was on Luke Lish last week, so that hurt a little bit. Um, I think that Zalatoris... I think List won that event as opposed to Zalatoris losing it. Like... I know he could have made that part on the 72nd hole, and I know mm. he had another chance on the playoff hole, but I don't think they were gimmies, right? Like, people were knocking him for his short-range putts all weekend, and 
And every time he got over one of those in the final round, it was nervy, but he holed all of them. No matter how shaky it looks, no matter whatever, every single one of them went in. So all the ones he should have made went in. And I think that it was harsh to say that this kind of eight-foot putt on Poana Greens is a certainty that he kind of threw that away. So I think that more credit should go to Luke List as opposed to, to dogging on what Zanatoris did. No, absolutely, and like um, the the situation that uh, that List was in in the bunker, you know that lie yeah. looked horrible, uh, and, and he got it much further than I thought he was gonna gonna get it down the fairway in, in the playoff. Um, so you know, like I don't think you can fault Luke List for what what he did in the playoff, and and he definitely went out and won it. Um, and, and albeit Zalatoris maybe had some some short putts missed earlier on in the tournament, but certainly you know. You can't, you can't fault someone for, for missing that what was it, a 10, 12 foot putt yeah. in the playoff you know, that's just the way it goes um, and, and if you if you did want to fault him, you could argue that he maybe missed some short ones earlier on um, but, you know I, I wouldn't be too critical of him for that I think, you know, the, the fact that after the birdie on six he, he, he was parred in from there, right and and to win a golf tournament, you probably need to make a birdie yeah. between, you know, on the back nine or, you know, he had three par fives and to make one and didn't. So you could say that, but I, I just think that this was a new experience for him. He was playing alongside Jason Day, who's a core specialist major winner, had for, for long periods of time, had to worry about Rahm, had to worry about Justin Rose, you know. There was just people coming at him left, right and centre, and I thought he actually held himself really well. So interesting to see how he bounces back this week. Like, I think he's got a pretty elite mentality even if he hasn't quite I don't want to say earned it yet but if he hasn't quite shown that that matches it yet like I think he he talks how we expect him to be in the future um, and he's now got to go mm-hmm. and win it to back it out right because I had him on the podcast and he basically said to me that like he plans to win the Masters like and, and every golfer says that but you could just tell by the way he said it like yeah. he believed it and, and that's a really good trait to have and now it's time to, to you know cash in on that, and he's going to come back to Pebble this week as a as a pretty short price uh, pick in the in the in the leader there. So um, interesting to see how he gets on. But let's. I was just going to say, I think he's one of those guys that maybe just needs, needs to learn how to win. You know, he, he's yeah. up there. He's up there a lot of the time. You know, he gives himself a lot of opportunities. Um, and, and I think that once he learns how to to kind of close the close the deal, I think he'll be one of those guys that will be really difficult to beat. But at, at the moment, like he's one of these guys that I always look at in the betting, and, and he's always just a little bit short for me. Yeah. You know, just it's, it's talent's undeniable. I'm, I'm not going to you know sit here and say he's not he's not he's not great talent, but for, for me that he just doesn't have that that kind of killer instinct on a Sunday quite yet. But but I, I certainly think that it will come. Um, when it does look out, you know, he'll be a he'll be a one to be uh, reckoned with. I think he's getting to that kind of Scotty Scheffler place in in the market now. Yeah. Right? You you expect them to go and have great things, and and there's always this talk of kind of betting the ceiling of a golfer as opposed to what they're at the moment, and there is a bit of an element to that. But I think, like you say, it's. I mean, last week, I mean, he was 50 to 1 for the Amex, and that was on reflection, like, kind of huge. But there was, you had no idea how he was going to play after a, a pretty dismal run towards the end of last year and, and oh. not played earlier. So it was, a, it was a bit of a gamble. He played well, and then, of course, he shortened up, and he, he was 40 to open up with. He'd had that kind of seventh place finish a year before, so I, so I liked it. And then he, he kind of went into kind of like 28, 25s, and I was no longer interested. But now 18 to 1 in a in a you know a pretty dismal field uh, which will, will come way further down the podcast but um it'll be interesting to see how he goes but let's go on to the first of our events that we are going to cover at uh, Raz Al Kamar um you were there last week playing the golf course 
uh, with your partner at a golf betting club. Just uh, talk us through that a bit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, I run kind of golf betting club with my brother Neil. Uh, yeah. We went out to the Middle East last week. Uh, so we went to um, Abu Dhabi for a couple of days on Saturday and Sunday, and then we moved across to Raz. And we played Raz um, Monday and Tuesday. So um, we we kind of hacked up the hacked up the course, <laughs> left left plenty of divots, um, and had we had a really good time. To be fair, um, you know it's, it's an excellent course. Um, a little bit different maybe to the to the course that the courses that the pros have been playing the last couple of weeks. Um, it kind of like had a little bit of a Spanish vibe um, to me, you know. Like there's a lot of houses that run along by the side of the course, um, and, and and some of the holes kind of reminded me of resort courses that I played in Spain. Um, but no, it, it's an excellent course, and, and uh, it should be a good scoring week, I think. Yeah, certainly. Looking at you know just literally on the Raza, you know Alhambra Golf Club. Uh, website like it certainly does look like that right like uh, as much as it looks very middle eastern in terms of some of the the you know the the route of the desert and things like that there is this kind of like backdrop of real spanish resort style things i think that's a really interesting thing to to bear in mind when you're making picks this week but before we move on just just talk about golf pissing club a little bit and and how it came about with you and your brother and and you know because you, you do get to the events your boots on the ground and and sort of the involvement you have on the tour and, and where you go from there yeah, yeah. So um, me and Neil have been betting on golf for you know last twenty years, uh, give or take. Um, I, I, it's always been something that we're both kind of really passionate about, and thought you know how can we how can we take this you know further. Um, so the, the break that came about last year for COVID, uh, when when all golf stopped for that for that couple of months, we thought you know this is this is going to now or never moment, and, and if we're going to do something, let let's get it done in that time when golf was off. So we spent kind of three months, you know, busily working away on the website, uh, golfbettingclub.com. Um, and and we, when we launched when golf came back in June 2020. Um, so we, we cover uh, the, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, obviously all the majors and, and WGCs and everything else as well. Um, and, and, and we provide uh, pre-event tips, which we charge a subscription for. And then we also provide in-play tips after each round. Um, and they are free of charge on the website. So after the any round of the PGA Tour or the or the DP World Tour, if you go into golfbettingclub.com, you'll be able to see who we've we've tipped up in play. And obviously, if you if you make a bit of money with us or, or you want to subscribe to our to our pre-event tips, you can do that as well. And we provide them separately in a in a Telegram group. Um, so it's really been a kind of like labour of love. You know, we've always loved betting on golf. We've been really successful. Uh, for, from golf betting club since we've launched you know we're almost 600 points profit for the for the year and a half that we've been doing golf betting club um and, and it's just kind of growing from from strength to strength so it's um trying to get to as many events and kind of grow the website uh, as best we can you know we have player profiles on there um we have over 150 player profiles uh, that we really kind of drill down into depth into into the players and try and get a better understanding of them um, because our kind of ethos is the more we understand the players, the, the more likely we are to, to hit upon them Correct, when, uh, yeah. when it's time they're going to win. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it, it's just one of those things that the, the, the more you know and the better you understand them, the, the easier it is to pick a winner. And I think I think that there's, you know, for someone that hosts a podcast and does a show each week, like there there's a difference, I think, between what I do and, and what we do on the podcast week to week and, and doing what you do in terms of, this is like 
you're taking it to another stage. You're building up profiles of players, like you say. You get into the events, which sometimes has such a huge impact, right? Especially with those in-play tips that you talk about. Because I remember being at the Open at St Andrews back in was it 2015, and like we were standing there, and Mark Leishman hit this like amazing round of golf on the Saturday, and he was like, I think it was like 50 to one or 100 to one or something ridiculous in the exchange, and it was like. The, the bad weather is coming like we are standing yeah. here we are going to get wet the wind is coming this is horrible no one is gonna if anyone gets beyond him they're not gonna get out of reach and he's fine in the weather it comes tomorrow and and that's kind of something you wouldn't pick up on yeah. you would eventually on you know on sky sports right but to, to actually get that and get that in play and especially just get a feel for the golf club because like this it's fine for us to go right we've made these course correlations we've we've you know, read everything we can about the courses. We've read player quotes, which I like. You have the player quotes on there each week for the for the tournaments as well, which I like. And like you say, it's just familiarity. Like if you, if you the more events you can get to, the better. The better you get to see uh, players. If, if you're anything like me, what happens is you go to the range and you see someone flushing it, and you think <laughs> they can't lose this week. And then what happens is you realise that every single professional golfer flushes it on the range. And then you quickly realise that they can win. I remember falling for that trap with Gregory Bordy uh, at Wentworth and uh, watching Justin Rose miss horrible putts on the practice screen at Wentworth and then him winning the US Open a week later. So there are there are pros and cons to go in, but as long as you're sensible about it, which uh, which you and Neil are, then uh, you know all the better. So talk us through a little bit about Razal Hamra Golf Club and what you kind of expect the players to, uh, to face this week. Yeah, so um, Alhamra, uh, the first five holes, I think it's probably fair to say that, that, that players are really going to build a score in, in the first five holes. Um, I think even, you know, Neil and I aren't professional golfers by any imagination or any standards. Um, but, you know, even Neil and I were, were knocking in a couple of birdies in the first five holes. Um, so I, I would expect birdies, birdies are plenty in the first five holes. And when you look back at the scorecards of the winners um, when this was a challenge tour event, You'll see that, that um, there was a lot of birdies made in those those kind of holes. So if you're betting in play, um, do do kind of keep that in mind that they are the holes that you want your player to, to score on. Um, in terms of the greens, uh, they're smaller than, than what you'll normally find in the Middle East. Um, some of the greens, especially on the front line, are, are actually quite small. Um, and there wasn't really all that much rough surrounding the green. Or it certainly wasn't penal anyway. There was obviously rough, but not you know it wasn't a thick, lush rough. Where the ball would sit down, um, you know, if if you missed the green, you weren't paying a, a high tariff, um, and, and the greens themselves weren't weren't overly undulating either. Um, we didn't think, you know, like having been at Yas Links, um, the greens there were incredibly undulating, um, whereas at Raz it, it was pretty straight and, and pretty flat, um, and, and probably the easiest greens of the three weeks that the the pros will will play um, compared to Yas and. Um, and Emirates. Um, the course takes a bit of a turn once you get towards the, the kind of middle section. Um, nine and ten from memory play the hardest holes on the course uh, and there's water all down the tenth I think it is down the, down the left hand side um, and then the back nine is significantly longer than the front nine. I think it's a good two or three hundred yards longer even though it's par 36 uh, for each nine. Um, in terms of like uh, problems off the tee, there wasn't really a significant amount of, of, of problem. The fairways are relatively, you know, relatively wide. The rough, as I say, wasn't all that thick. 
uh, last week, and I don't imagine they'll be able to grow it sufficiently in the week that's passed. Um, the only really kind of big danger off the tee was if you if you put your ball wide enough, you went into one of the the kind of desert or native areas, um, and there was a lot of lie uh, a lot of branches or kind of fallen uh, fallen debris from from trees and whatnot. Um, so, so if your ball ended up in sand, you, you could well end up having to take a drop if you're if you're stuck behind something or, or scurred. Um, but, but I think I think like driving a ball come to the four, you know, especially in the back nine, um, and, and it should be it should be a relatively low scoring event. I don't think there's much wind forecast, um, so I think we'd be looking at something about twenty under par, really getting the job done this week. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at the, the Challenge Tour event, obviously Jordan Smith won it at 20 under par in 2016, uh, one stroke from Jose Felipe Lima. Uh, 2017, Jens Dantorp won it by uh, 15 under par in a playoff to Adrian Moronk. Now, when you look at that, kind of, I think of Dantorp and Moronk as kind of like hitters that you know don't necessarily rely on accuracy, that you know gain those strokes from distance and things like that. Jordan Smith, a little bit more accurate, maybe. Uh, yeah. took advantage of those kind of smaller greens where people were missing them as much as it wasn't penal around the greens if he was hitting every single one of them and making the putts that he must have had to make to get to 20 under um, probably the last time he did something like that with uh, with his putter but uh, yeah I think I think like you say I think to me you then look at the, the, the grand final as well uh, the Challenge Hall grand final was here in 2018 and Adrian Alves beat Victor Perez by one stroke so you quite quickly get the idea that off the tee kind of matters here the most and to me, it's it's one of those ones where I, I've gone straight back to the well with Adrian Moronk in the hope that he can kind of add on to, to what he'd done in that uh, Challenge Tour event because I think he's just such a big improver, right? Like I think that I know you've got Bernd Wiesberger there. I know you've got Jordan Smith, who's who's obviously won the, the tournament here at Challenge Tour, and Robert McIntyre's 25-1. to 1. I think Robert McIntyre's off the boil, so I'm quite happy to kind of put a line through him. Yeah. Um, Burn, you know, as much as I respect his chances, I'm just never going to back him at 11 to 1. It's just not necessary. Um, and Jordan Smith, I just don't know that he can make the putts that he made when he, you know, won here at 20 to 1. So that kind of left me in this kind of group of like Langas, Moronk, uh, Dietrich, Bjork, all that kind of made, you know, Rasmus Hoygaard, Nikolai Hoygaard, Richard Bland, even. Like they all make their own appeals. But to me, like Adrian Moronk, I think just has this kind of next step in him, next, you know, He's going to kick on and catapult to a, to a really good DPR tour player. And he's had three top eight finishes in his last nine starts, fourth last week. And, and like you say there, off the tee, you know, in terms of accuracy, maybe not matters. And uh, that could suit him. Yeah, I mean, like he was also doing well in, um, well, not well, but he, he, was, he wasn't doing too shabbily in um, Abu Dhabi either, was he, before he yeah. before to withdraw? Um, so, so no, like... The, he's one of those funny players that Neil and I sometimes have a bit of a differing opinion um, on Moronk yeah. uh, Neil's in kind of your camp Tom uh, and that he, he quite likes him um, for, for me he's one of these players that um, I, I would probably want an extra five five points in the odds in terms of if he was in that kind of 30, 33 category I like him a bit more um, when I'm taking 25s and, and sometimes even 22s I think looking at the odds yeah. now He's getting to that point for me where I'm thinking, well, uh, would I rather just wait and see how he plays the first round and and look to back him and run in, um, and, and yeah, I, th- I think the front of the market, like you say, is a kind of is a, is a strange one this week, and that we've we've been on McIntyre for for the last couple of weeks, you know, given his his record in the Middle East and everything else, and there's something there that's just not quite clicking 
uh, for Bob. You know, you know, he's, he seems to put a good round together, and then we'll, we'll follow up for poor one. Um, so, so we were happy to kind of strike a line through him as well. Smith just seems incredibly short at 22. I think we're paying for the win there um, earlier on in his career. Although he did have an incredible quote, uh, which was something like, you know, I think the year after he won, and he said something like, he thinks back about that day uh, when he won in Raz Alkaima, you know, like every single day, mm. um, which is obviously a pretty strong sentiment. Um uh, and obviously a place that he clearly loves, but you know, like twenty-two to one just seems incredibly short for for Jordan, and um, you know, happy to happy to overlook him on the basis that he that he starts starts a bit slower. Lingat was the interesting one for me, um, in that kind of category. Um, you know, obviously got a great record here, um, brilliant, brilliant kind of first couple of events this season. Maybe would have wanted it to be a little bit more windy. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for Romain, I think we're in for quite a reasonable week um, in terms of weather, um, and it was certainly it certainly wasn't windy when we played it the two days last week. Obviously, not that that has any correlation to this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Romain's one of those players that you know is very capable in the wind. And if it had been a little bit more windy, I think that might have might have tipped the scales in in Romain's favour for us. Yeah, and I really like that because I think that I think with both Smith and Langasco, and I'll tell you everything on board with what Smith says about how much he loves it. But to me, that kind of um, kind of suggests what, what we know about his career so far. Like he's never quite kicked on from that, and I don't want to put too much negative on it because it's, it's a great moment for him. He's broken through, and it'd be good for him to return back to this. But like a lot of people will look at the, the strokes going approach and tee to green and see that he spiked recently and. But that's he does that all year round, right? And yeah. I'm just not willing to bet that he'll make the amount of putts he needs to make. If you're saying there's going to be calm conditions, which we, we're probably you know likely to see, then 20 under par. I know he's done it, like he's done it. He's got to 20 under par in a Challenge Tour event, and and that's absolutely fine. But I just think that this is going to be like if that meant a lot to him. Imagine what this is going to mean to him, like really kicking on to this stage. So um, yeah, I. I I thought Lane Gask was interesting. Like you say, I think just him and Smith would both just benefit from it being tougher. Like their ball striking could really come to the fore. Yeah. And that's why I kind of like Moronk. Like I think Beesberger's adapts at going tough and birdie runs, so it doesn't really matter to him. McIntyre, a little bit the same as well. But for me, like Moronk can just get really hot, like and just birdie, 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 birdie. And, and I like to see that from him. So um, other than that, I kind of didn't, you know, there, there's so many names here. Like you've got. You got Dietrich, you got the two Hoygaard twins, you got JB Hansen, who I thought may have had a bit of a shout at the thirty-five to one, but it was kind of just like a collection. I couldn't, I couldn't differentiate. I don't know if you had the same sort of thing, Duncan, in your early thoughts. So kind of like this whole group of Dietrich, Bjork, Hoygaard, Bland's maybe Bland because of the way he was playing, but even like Fox, I wanted over in Saudi. Like all of them just seemed to be a collection of players that. Any one of them that won wouldn't surprise me, but they also just don't stand out to me this week. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that kind of sums it up, Tom. I think um, when I said earlier on about it, I thought the fields were, were quite interesting and, and there was more players that turned up than, than I thought were perhaps going to. Um, that, this kind of sums it up and that, that, that kind of group um, are really kind of difficult. And it's like you say, that I, I watched a lot of the Hodgeguards um, in Dubai, uh, I, I watched uh, on a Thursday. I kind of jumped between various different groups, and I ended up catching quite a lot of Rasmus and Nikolai. And off the tee, they were wayward to say the least. Um, and I, and I, I know that kind of round about here, there's not as much rough. But 
it's just tough, tough ask. I think I haven't watched that. I just don't, I don't like them particularly this week. I maybe want to see see them kind of get back to mainland Europe and and, and see what they do there. Um, JB Hansen um, was one who I always think he's got to be on form to kind of to go well, and obviously hasn't been on form the last no. couple of weeks. Um, Ryan Fox was the one that when the odds first came out and he came out at sixty to one, he was the one that, that leapt off the page. Um, for me, I thought 60 to, one, 60 to 1 was big um, in that category. You know, he fits the bill in terms of a birdie maker, powerful, um, you know, likely to kind of bully, bully the track, I suppose. Um, and I thought the opening 60 that, that 365 put up was was more than generous. Um, I don't like him as much at the, the 45 or 40 kind of range. Um, not, not to say that I would completely rule him out in that range, but I certainly obviously like the the sixty much better, um, and uh... it's interesting, Duncan, because like your so the golf betting club, you, you kind of take until late Tuesday, Wednesday to to kind of finalise your picks, right? And there's a lot of market movement on a Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning, based on previews, podcasts, etc. to go out. So. What has to happen? I mean, I guess you've just kind of summed it up there that like Ryan Fox was sixty, you really liked him there, dropped to forty, not so much. But like, I found so I started doing the kind of odds checker articles I'm doing, and I I put those out before odds are even available. So all I'm doing there is I'm narrowing down the picks that I'm really happy with. Basically, I've got I've got an idea. Obviously, we all kind of price up fields in our heads mm. before they come out, but like those picks are purely based on who I think is going to go well. If the odds are slightly under what I hoped for. I'd probably still go with them, and I, I suppose with someone like Fox, like, how do you go? Like, will you now just completely discount him the forty to one, or would you, would you just take a deeper look and see if you can still get there? I, I think I think it kind of depends on the strength of feeling for the for the player. Um, yeah. Like, I, I think the reason that we kind of leave it late is a number of different factors. So, firstly, the weather. The weather's a big yeah. one. Like you. You kind of mentioned there that you're you're under like the time constraints for odds checker, yeah. um, and if you if you write for a publication or, or anything else, you're under those time constraints, and that they want the content probably at the start of the week on a Monday or a Tuesday, um, and and so you're kind of you're you're not able to kind of delay things until the Wednesday, um, whereas like we'll quite often take a take a view of the weather and and see see how things are going to be. You know, I think Saudi this week, for example, is is a good. As a good example, um, I think there's going to be a, a draw bias in, in Saudi by the by the looks of the early forecast. Um, but but just kind of come back to your question, I guess it's that we, we would take a look at it, and, and a lot of information does come out, especially on the PGA Tour um, yeah. in those couple of days leading up to the tournaments. You know, you get the pre-round press conferences. You know, you'll find out who's carrying in a goal uh, or, or injury or anything. Um, and, and social media nowadays is is so detailed you know almost every player has either a twitter or an instagram or both and, and the information you pick up in, in those couple of days uh, we often find is, is really helpful um so, so for us it's it, it's not a case of we rule ryan fox out completely but i, I think that whereas at the start of the week if he'd, if he'd maintained that 60 to 1 um he, he probably would have been would have been a kind of starter on the sheet whereas now he kind of goes back into that pool of how strong do we feel about him um, and we'll come to a decision on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning as to whether he's going to be a player or not. Yeah, I mean, so to me, then he's he's kind of like a, a value play, right? Like we've we've seen uh, Wacky Neiman, uh, Saudi Arabia, to later today. Like he 
he opened up a 40 to 1, 45 to 1 on, on 365, and all of a sudden he's 22 to 1. So then you have to make a complete decision on how much you like him. Were you just playing him because he was 40 to 1 when he shouldn't have been, or are you playing him because you think he's going to win? And, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But the the first guy that I came, or the second guy that I came to in this field was uh, Marcus Armitage. And I just think that we're looking at an event now that. I don't think he's... Like, I think he gets lost in like Abu Dhabi and Dubai as a classic and DP World Tour. Like I think he he relished the, the, the kind of return to golf during lockdown when we were going back-to-back resort golf courses, like places yeah. we don't go to because it was easy, right? And he was all just going around England and, and he could kind of be pretty chilled out and, and his iron play come to the fore. And, and he was good. Like, I, I never want to take anything away from him. Like, I say the same thing about the Hoygaard twins. I say the same thing about Laurie Cantor, etc. I think they took advantage of a good situation. But now I think he's been like steadily just quite consistent. I've just looked and like 19th, 16th and 12th in three of his last four starts. Like the 12th at the Dubai Desert Classic, 16th DP World Tour, 19th Dubai Championship. Like just, <laughs> just steady appearances. And then what's happened now is he's, he's sixth in approach last week, 18th tee to green, and he, and he was losing a bit off the tee at one point. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. But like you say, that might be negated here. And just those really strong irons in a, in a slightly weaker field where he hasn't got the Rory's and the Victor Hovland's and the Morikawa's who even consider. He hasn't got the Sergio Garcia's and the Tommy Fleet's and Tyrrell Hatton's just behind there. But he's just got Bernd Wiesberger, right? And that's not to discount Bernd Wiesberger, but yeah. that's... That's the one guy that he's got to go, right, I don't know if I want to play him on Sunday. And, and I don't even think you'd think that about him, really. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's you know, spot on. I think, um, like, uh, Raz Al-Khaim is, is much more low-key than um, than uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. You know, it's, it's, it's almost akin to what... Uh, we spoke to a couple of locals, and they, and they were kind of explaining that, that Raz is almost like... Um, you know, Dubai was twenty years ago. It's yeah. got that kind of that kind of feel about it, and that um, you know, if you come back in, in a few years' time, there'll be more development, and it'll be it'll be flashy and glitzy and, and glamour. Um, and, and and I think that maybe that low key kind of week this week could, could probably help Marcus. Um, you know, like I say, his approach play was strong last week, and that's always a, an indicator that, that things are coming around for him. Um, and I think he probably enjoys the the greens being a bit simpler for, for want of a better yeah, kind of definition um, and, and once he gets that putter rolling you know he obviously gets hot um, he, he's got the benefit of playing here before um, and he's a much improved player since then so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't write him off he's certainly certainly on the short list yeah I think like, I love what you say there about the, the kind of the the lack of complexity on the greens and that's not to say that Marcus Armitage isn't a good green reader that's not to say that he's, he's not intelligent enough to read the greens that are stronger but I think that just the easier you can make it for Marcus Armitage, and the easier just that it's just point and shoot, make as many putts as you can make, almost like an Andy Sullivan type. That it just, just like bird your fist or suit him if you can get hot with the irons and the putter, then great. And like you say, had that run here, 2016, far and away an improved player now. Um, just you know, so despite the fact you finished up 48th that week or whatever it was, um, just really good things to look forward to. So I, I personally don't go for Marcus Armitage very often. And maybe I've just fallen in the kind of trap of, of how well he's hit the ball, right? But and and I do think there is a, I mean, I'm sure you have an opinion on it that there is a probably a, a point where people do get too caught up in stats. Like, yeah, he he can't win this week because he ranked outside the top 50 in strokes gain approach last week, and that's just simply not true. Like every new event is a completely new challenge, and things you know we'll see Kevin Strillman in Pebble Beach this week, like 
it's a completely different kettle of fish to what he's been playing at Tory and stuff. So a tied Thursday night finish at, at Tory is, is splendid for him and, and you get a good platform. And I think that's kind of what Armitage has been doing, just kind of bubbling up and putting in good performances where he should do. Steady performances have gone against bigger fields and now comes into an event that he can really come to the fore. So that was kind of my thoughts on him. And then I went with Julian Brun as well, who of those kind of challenge tour graduates you had, Ricardo Guvia and Brun, who are kind of older in that kind of 29-30 range that have been to the European Tour before and not quite made their mark or not kind of stuck around as they would. But he was just really solid last year. Like, earned his, you know, earned his promotion, won, looked really good, looks ready to, to compete at this level. And this is, you know, not only is he kind of playing at a level where you think he can contend at, like, really big events, but he's now coming to an event where he's got a good chance to kind of assert dominance, right? Like two wins on the Challenge Tour last year. And, you know, he beat Chase Hanna and Jigga Thompson, who are two people that have done okay on the European Tour at times. Lost another playoff to, to Ben Tarrio as well, who was playing really well. So, for me, like, he was third after 36 holes in Abu Dhabi. Had a terrible uh, third round there, shot 77. So, to mm. me, the, the scoring is available. Is he slightly on the short side when you look at the people that are around him and and above and below him, maybe a little bit. Um, I think you're paying for, you know, the recent form, which is obviously largely on the Challenge Tour. But I do think he's the type of he's it succeeds this week or you know contends in one of those two weeks now that you you'll pay a decent price on him going forward. Yeah, there's no doubt he's he's a quality player. You know, I expect him to um to to make uh, make waves I guess this year on the on the tour. Um, for me, I had that concern as well. You know, that kind of that category of price uh, and yeah. that you know you're getting 60 at about 365 but across the board he's a general 50 55s yeah and, and i just thought maybe it's just a bit too skinny he he might be one that they might benefit from that could run out this week and maybe one to consider for next week's run out you know having haven't seen the course um this time around he might be one to kind of keep in well for, for me personally he's he kind of one to keep in mind for next week having had the benefit of of seeing the course this week yeah, and that's the thing like, yeah, I didn't mention at the start of the show is that we will be back here next week for for another event. And I don't know if you know anything, is there a plan to change the setup slightly? Because it's exactly the same golf course, isn't it? So there must be a slight difference that they're going to play in the two events. I, I, I know they've got, they've got five tees. Um, yeah. But, but I, I don't think, they would, well, I don't think they would want to go much shorter in terms of taking it away from the championship tees and, and, and moving it further forward. I mean, obviously they could on, on a couple of holes. But I don't think there's too much scope to really play about with it all that much. Um, the only thing they could really do would make it shorter. They certainly couldn't make it longer. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't imagine they could they could do too much. Um, but yeah, wait and see, I suppose. The, the, yeah, I guess it's a bit of wind. Yeah, that, that, that again is one of those ones where it's kind of the classic line that we get in the moment. That that's kind of the course's protection. If they get a bit of wind, then we're going to see slightly different scores. If not, it's going to be 20 under. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's... I've said that a lot about players recently. Like, I'll just let him go this week and, and I hope he gets to a bigger price. And step about like Nikolai Hoygaard at you know, Abu Dhabi. Like, I hope he has a pretty nothing week and goes out to whatever he goes out to in, in Dubai. And didn't quite get there in the end, but you know, it was kind of trending towards that direction, has come in again because the price of the field is so, yeah. you know, much weaker this week. But I think as it goes along, hopefully he just, uh, he's careful, uh, you know, treads water and doesn't quite, you know, kick on as much as I expect he could do um, in a, in a waffly term there. 
Cupid may work hard in February, but our friends at Manscaped are working harder than ever to ensure that your Valentine's Day is one to remember. Don't turn this day of romance into Independence Day this year and get in control with their Performance Package 4.0, which includes a signature lawnmower. This February, join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code LFW20. That is LFW20 on the Lost for Words podcast. Contrary to popular belief, love is not blind when you can't see past the love jungle. Folks, we know how important it is to have clean, fresh golf balls, but it is also your balls that we must prioritise on Valentine's Day. And the Performance Package 4.0 will leave you with more dating app notifications than Cupid has arrows. This lovely bundle comes equipped with the best tools needed when freshening up for a night on the town and a date night with your young lady. So once again, that is code LFW20 for 20% off and free worldwide shipping on manscaped.com. Fellas, look after your balls both on and off the golf course in February. Then it, again, Duncan, I just found this is kind of like a a dead zone from here on, really. Like, there's going to be backers for Patrick Harrington because of the way he's hitting the ball. There's going to be backers for Danny Willett based on name value, Fabrizio Zanotti because of the way he's hitting the ball. Scott Jameson's been playing well. Obviously, he plays very well in the Middle East in general. Um... Eduardo Molinari is always going to pop in like models and strokes going to approach numbers yeah. and just don't watch him putt basically. Um, but yeah, again, I just I just didn't really have a strong opinion on on anyone here at the moment. I didn't know if you did either. I, I think this kind of you know fifty to sixty category all the way up to hundred is where I, I could potentially see the winner coming from. And I think when you said earlier on about um, you know, not being surprised if a if a player comes from this category, and I know you're talking about the the lower category, but I, I have that yeah. kind of feeling about, about this range. Um, and there's, there's a lot of players there who are who are more than capable of of winning this. And and you look at the rods and think, oh yeah, he's you know he's quite tempting. Um, you know, like the, the two that kind of really struck out for me were Samuya uh, and Grant Forrest. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Samuya in the, in the desert. Uh, in the Middle East, I think like his game is just tailor-made for for golf in this area. Um, and you know, I think he's on record as saying how much he loves golf in Qatar, and we're not a million a million miles away from from that. Um, you know, he's, he's played the course three times, albeit not not tremendous results. Um, but I, I just think he's one of those players that that I think will go on to win this year. Um, yeah. And twelve, obviously, last week was a was a great start. Even though his, I think his approach play wasn't wasn't you know anything to write home about but I, I don't know I, I just think Samuya is one to watch this week at the at the odds available and and then Forrest um, is another player who I think has got that kind of extra level and can certainly kick on after his win um, you know he's got progressive form um, and Raz I think they, he got his um, he uh, secured a two card uh, here in 2018 so he's, he's got nice memories um, and he had a reasonably good driving performance last week as well. Um, birdie, if it is birdies are plenty, that, that suits him down to the ground. Um, and, and so Grant Forrest was the other one that was that was on my short list. But I, I think in reality that there's a few different names in that kind of 66, you know, 66 bracket, all the way up to 100 that are that are um, that have got potential. Eduardo Molinari probably I don't see him putting well enough to to maybe win this. If it if it had been a tougher test, perhaps he would have been under consideration. But you know you've got you've got guys like Stone, Lagergren, um, Tario, who 
who could just oh eat, I could even put Debris on in that category. You know yeah. those kind of mercurial players who if, if they just suddenly decide that they're going to turn it on, um, you, you know they could easily demolish uh, Alhambra and, and easily get to the twenty under par. But pe- betting those guys um, is a real kind of tricky thing, and that they're quite as easily you know likely to miss the cut or um, you know give you a really poor double or treble bogey out of nowhere. Uh, and ruin any chance that they've had so uh, it's one of those ones where um, it's tough it's, that category is a tough price range yeah like I echo everything you said about Kelly Samoy like, I think he'll win I think along with him along with Moronka two kind of breakthrough candidates for me uh, for this year I don't think he's been missed in the market and, and, and I said at the start of the show that I don't try and I try not to rule people out based on price because I've, I've mm-hmm. kind of done that too much in the past and 50 to 1 winner is better than than not being on right just because yeah. he's not just to me like if, if you expect him to be a hundred to one and he was fifty to one then you can't do it but if you expect him to be seventy or sixty sixes and he was fifties I'd kind of if I was bullish on him I'd still take him so I I, I completely echo everything you said about Kelly Samoya Grant Forrest I think he's he's got he's got that kind of course experience and he's an improving player I do sometimes wonder if he just relies too much on his short game um, and kind of needs everything to go perfect for him um, because you you never see him really kind of peak with his irons which always concerns me about a player that you can't can't particularly rely on when those irons are going to come to the fore. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think that's, you know, that's fair enough. His driving uh, can be exceptional, at, yeah. at, at, you know, when he's on. And um, he, he can have real fun here, you know, if he, if he gets the, the driver working and, and the putter's going as well, um, you know, that's the perfect combo that, that we want this week. So, um, 66 I think it's fair you know it's not, I wouldn't say it was a standout price but I think I think it's fair and he's one that, that caught the early the early eye um, you, you know there's just a lot of potential you know in, yeah. in that category I watched Matty Schmidt uh, on Thursday I uh, had two of the worst tee shots I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> on the 14th hole in Dubai um, he, he duck took both of them uh, left and, and um, they were they were just truly horrendous tee shots and you know lo and behold he ends up having a fairly decent week. Uh, he bounces back on the Friday and, you know, does okay at the weekend. Um, so it's a funny old game. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I remember watching Podrick Harrington top one at Wentworth uh, from the rough. I don't know what he was trying to do. And you just think, how do these players do it? And then you look like five holes later when you've stopped watching them and they're three under par and you're like, what What just, you know, what has happened? Um, so yeah, you do you do tend to get a little bit of bias from, from viewing them there as well. So I agree with you. I think that I think the way I kind of looked at this week, Duncan, was that there's if you like a player like long term, and there's a, a couple of guys you've got your eye on from the Challenge Tour, like one I'm going to come on to in a minute. But there was like Yannick Paul and Nikolai Horgo Moller, and you know just just people like that. I just think that there's there's a chance now to take them while the field is slightly weaker, while the golf course is slightly more basic and and kind of straightforward and. You know, because Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi are considered scoring events, but like we saw in Dubai last week, if the wind gets up or you know the, the greens firm out, they can they can be tough prospects. Whereas the idea here is that that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, no, like the, these guys have got um, you know as good a chance as any really to, to either yeah. post a good result or, or or even you know go on and win. Um, you know, take out the guys who have played it on the Challenge Tour. You know, and, and the rest of the field haven't haven't played here, yeah. um, so so it's as good a time as any to, to get in and secure a big finish. Um, and and there seem to be a lot of quality players come off the challenge tour last year. I know obviously that's you have to play well to get off the challenge tour normally, but it just seemed to be the, the crop that came off last year just seemed to be 
you know, there was a number of players there that I thought, you know, they could they could go in and win. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Helikilda. Um and, and, and you know, I, I, it's the kind of thing that I wouldn't be surprised that he's, he's an attacking, aggressive player, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he ended up, um, you know, going and, and putting something together this week. Yeah, I, I, he was one of those ones I, that I kind of put a circle around. The one I landed on was Frederick Lacroix, and the, the reason being purely done is just because he was that much bigger. Um, you know, yeah. he was kind of the you could get 150s available on him, 125s as opposed to kind of Hillekilder's 90s. Um, which you know isn't the biggest difference. So if you do you do prefer one of them, then then obviously take them. But it was kind of eighties that was widely available in Helikilder, and, and I've really liked him. I've tipped him up a couple of times, uh, Helikilder. But you know when you look at Lacroix, like I know he missed the cut in the, uh, Abu Dhabi, which he'd actually started okay, and then just had a, a bad you know second round shot on eighty. Uh, but he was fifth in the Joburg that got cut short, and I would have thought that yeah. he could have pushed. Uh, Tristan Lawrence there to uh to, to over the weekend to, to really contend with him, and he just 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 finishes like second, fourth, twenty eighth, fifth, second before you know finishing up on the challenge tour. Like he's just so consistent, and I just don't think he'll be afraid at this stage. And, and like you say, when when the golf course is what it is, like they can just get aggressive, they can attack, and he hasn't been able to do that. Helik Hilder hasn't been able to do that in Abu Dhabi or you know Dubai or you know anything like that. Like. Once the opportunity presents itself, because I think you, not only are you guarding yourself against those tough golf courses, but you're guarding yourself against real quality players. Whereas this time, I think they're just going to go, look, I need to go and make 20 birdies this week, 25 birdies this week. Um, how I get there is, is is completely down to me, so I'm just going to give it a go. Yeah, no, I, I, the, the price is obviously a standout price uh, yeah. to, in terms of the, the kind of value, I guess, available. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think he'll have a good year. Um, I always like to see uh, like um, a player who's won multiple times in the one year. You know, yeah. uh, just subconsciously, I think that, that I like that as a good sign. And you know, he won three times, didn't he? And um, uh, when, when he was back on the Alps tour. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, that always shows a player that he's got that kind of killer edge. He doesn't afraid to go on and, and, and finish something off if if an opportunity presents. So. Um, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against them. You know, uh, odds of 150 are more than fair, and 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 was a good chance to win. I think the I think the one not like you say he won that those three times in the Alps tour, but didn't win on the Challenge tour since then, and that and that could be the one thing that people would say that you know we're expecting to step up here and do it that that maybe you know he should have won on the Challenge tour first, but you know not everyone can, you know especially when you've got people winning two or three times on the Challenge tour in one season, it's very hard for everyone else to get their own piece. So um, not too worried there. The only other one I kind of wanted to mention, Duncan, before you know we either come to your last selections or move on was uh, Oliver Wilson, and it's kind of a it's kind of just a, this is like going back to your social media thing, but he has just been relentless on like sharing his journey over the last sort of like winter break, just constantly giving us updates on what he's doing in the gym, the golf related exercise, the golf improvements for his passing, the golf improvements for his driving, going out on the golf course, like getting through COVID. All he's just been so consistent, and I, and I, I sort of said this on the show I've just done that. And it's probably a bit of a trap that oh, I just don't think someone's going to put that much effort into documenting what they're doing and mm. sharing it with everyone. They're then just going to turn up on on a Thursday and, and shoot eight over. Do you know what I mean? Like I think I think if you're doing that, you're psychologically putting it out there because you're accepted and happy with where you are in the game. And I think you know he had shown signs of us uh, to us over the last sort of couple of years that he was coming back to not not to his best because his best was ridiculous. You know he was a top thirty player in the world at one point, but yeah. 
Um, you know, just 11th in Mallorca, 12th at the Portugal Masters. He was hitting the ball really nicely there, and he, he finished 21st at Crans. And then, you know, missed the cut in Dubai, 71st in Joburg, which obviously got cut short. So I just think he's really keen to get going, and I think this is a good golf course for him to uh, to not worry about so much off the tee and, and maybe just focus those irons. Yeah, for that, Neil, Neil was talking about him uh, for the exact same reason uh, the other week, Tom, in terms of he'd been looking at his socials and he'd been you know, really active over the winter break and, and kind of putting the putting the hard yards in. Um, like for me, I, I'm I'm kind of I've had my fingers burnt with Oliver a few too many times. Maybe I'm yeah. You know, I'm wearing the scar tissue. Maybe um, he's one of those guys that uh, got got a lot of potential and, and you know. He could he could well do it, but I, I think that just for me I've, I've I've kind of been there I've seen the kind of potential signs of improvement before, um, and, and I think I need to see something before I before I part with some hard cash uh, on Oliver. Um, not not to say that he, he won't this won't be you know a week that he could do well, but I think it's once bitten twice shy for me. And uh, no. he, oh, yeah. he, if he starts well, he's, he's the kind of guy that I'd want to back if he starts well because the market just doesn't doesn't rate him. Um, you know, quite. You you generally get big odds, even if he starts well after after the Thursday. You you generally get a big price on Oliver. Um, so I, I'm kind of one of those situations where I'd rather just see how he how he starts and then look to take him at a, you know, albeit a lesser price, but still a big price come come Thursday evening. Yeah, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Like I haven't certainly haven't you know gone into them yet. I'm kind of just. Sort of looking, doing a bit what you do, sort of just seeing if there's anything more comes out between now and then, seeing if he shows any more, you know, at the course and and sort of any positive thoughts coming out. I'll probably sort of message him to see if he's, you know, confident and things like that as well. So um, interesting to see what happens there. The only other guy that I wanted to keep an eye on was Tom McKibben. Like, this is, he's meant to be this kind of prodigy out of Ireland, you know, very well supported, well backed. I think he comes from uh, Rory McElroy's home golf club. Like, they're talking about him at 17 years of age of being like an absolute star on the golf channel, like next big thing. Yeah. Uh, goes and wins a, a minor league um, golf tour in um, Florida just before, uh, just a couple of weeks ago now, 19th of January, I think it was. And it was kind of a big deal for him, like first professional win, 19 years of age. Okay, not going to be anywhere near the level that it needs to be here. But he flashed last year on the European and Challenge Tour, you know, when he was still 18 years of age. Like he's another player that is going to, if it doesn't work out for him, people are going to question why he didn't go to college. He had opportunities to go to University mm-hmm. of Florida. Um, a bit like an Akshay Batia over on the, on the Corn Ferry Tour. That maybe people think they just take it too early. But it's, I think I quite like the fact they've bat themselves. They're ready to go. And he's certainly proven in a short space of time that he can hang with them if he uh, if he gets the right golf course. Yeah, he's been a talent for, for a while. Um, I, I In a past life, he used to run a golf accessories Um business and uh, it, I, I kind of reached out to Tom maybe about five or six years ago and, and I ended up sending him like a personalised I uh, used to make pitch mark uh, repairs yeah. and yeah, I ended up sending him one because um, <laughs> we, we got talking and he, he was a really nice guy you know back then um, and he was clearly a talent back then and it's great to see that he, he's kind of kicked on um, and, and he obviously got that breakthrough win um, a couple of months ago um, so you know, I think he's one of those ones that, that, that uh, I, he's certainly got the talent. Whether it's too soon for him would be, yeah, uh, would be the question. Like, uh, but but when you're getting four hundred to one, you know that's 
that's almost worth kind of a small investment in itself just because because of the talent that he's got um, and he probably will go on to be have a successful career um, on tour but get an early at 400s and I, I wouldn't kind of put you off it it's more just uh, kind of a, allows me to be invested in him in a bit of a watching group, right? Like if, if I have no reason to, to look into how he's done, you very quickly you get distracted by someone else. If I go back, actually, I did, he was in my thoughts this week. I, I, I considered backing him. Maybe I'll just follow the stats. And like you say, he's, he's probably like, I am in no way, shape or form advocating he's probably going to win. Like there's very likely that his best finish is maybe top 20, top 25, but that's progress, right? And that's a really big thing for him. So, I just wanted to see how he did. Was there any other names that kind of stuck out to you before we move on to, to Pebble Beach? So two two bigger bigger prices. Um, we the, the one I wanted to see bigger than he is, um, and he's probably he's probably too short in the betting was Andrea Pavan. Yeah. Um, a, a big I'm a big Andrea Pavan fan. I know he's obviously been in the doldrums for for the past little while uh, and really struggled with his game. But funnily enough, Neil bumped into his sister. Um, in, in uh, Dubai and, and got talking to her and um, she was saying that you know he's really really happy with his game it's coming on leaps and bounds and you know he just got a little bit nervous in Abu Dhabi on the Sunday which kind of kind of led him to slip back a little bit um, I think if he'd opened up anywhere in the kind of 200 plus range then that would have been something to maybe get excited about I think maybe as it is the 110s is, is probably a little bit too short um, but, but he's one that, that I, I do like. And if his game is coming back, and you know, if his, what his sister says is true in terms of him being happy with his game and the, the positive signs, then um, I think he's probably one to watch in the future, albeit maybe not this week, or even even one to watch in running, maybe if he, if you get a good price after the first round or second round. Um, the, the other I, one then... Sorry, Tom. Sorry, just before you move on, just I think the way he's been priced this week is like they do believe what's being said and they do believe that there's going to be a return like that they don't want to take chances like this is a guy that has missed x amount of cuts for, for the last couple of years and, and been absolutely horrendous and a lot of it's been injury a lot of it's been you know almost driver yips at times and things like that but they know that at his peak he's a you know he's a two-time european tour winner back-to-back years beating podrick harrington and matthew fitzpatrick in each of those and like a four-time winner on the challenge tour as well so he's just consistently been a winner and he's i, I put a question mark next to him because he's slightly gained on the tee last week which is yeah. unheard of for him in, yeah. in recent you know recent years but it was so slight that to me it's like that could have just been one hole that you know went really well for him so i i don't want to get too caught up in it and, and like you say i think if you'd open up at 200 you just bite your hand off right and just take it um with the upside but i think maybe like you that Actually, a tougher event would just suit him. When you look at, I know he got to 2200 at Chet Masters and 15 under at the, the BMW in Sasha Over, but you look at the fact he beat Podrick Harrison and Matthew Fitzpatrick, to me, that just strikes like like a grindy type of golf course where, you know, making, you know, the really difficult putts for Birdie and, and tough par putts kind of suits him, even though the scores don't necessarily reflect that. And I think that just an all out Birdie Fest where off the tee dominance is actually going to be prevalent, it might just be a one week too soon. Yeah, I think I think the one kind of thing in his favour, I suppose, is that um, you know the rough uh, for, for a miss isn't as bad, and if he keeps it away from the water uh, on, on a few of the holes, then he's probably going to have a decent chance with his irons to to kind of pepper the pin. But I, I think ultimately 110 is just a bit skimpy. Yeah, um, and it was one that I was kind of a bit of a reluctant uh, reluctant kind of pass by. Uh, I would have liked to have gone if I could, but. 
Um, no, it's too short. The, the yeah. other one oh, that we um, we're kind of like looking at a bit more and trying to find out a bit more is Ross McGowan, um, which is a strange one. Um, hmm. But the reason I say Ross McGowan is that he was there uh, last Monday, um, so so he's been he's been there practicing, um, and, and he's just one of those ones that you know if the putter gets hot with Ross, he can he, he can post some low scores, um, and. and uh, I think he's sometimes one that's a bit disrespected in the market. Um, you know, he something just pops up randomly, um, and, and something and has a good week. And um, you know, we saw in, in Italy, I think it was, where he, he had that fantastic putting week, didn't he? And yeah. um, I, I wouldn't. Uh, it's one of those ones where um, you know, if he's been there for the week and, and, and practicing, he might just be worth worth a small interest at four hundreds just for that for that local kind of course knowledge that he might have picked up. I think I, I think I backed him at the Open de Espana, and he shot at sixty-one in the first round, and yeah. he kind of living in dreamland, right? And and I think that was based on some like really old form for him, like based and like you say, he just, he just comes back, you know, four foot crowns, which is like a, yeah. a really tough golf course, and okay, that whatever he's done since miscut, withdraw, miscut, sixty-first, like. It's, it's, it's so inconsistent, but you know that the upside is three victories in his, his career, or two, yeah. Yeah, two victories on the European Tour and, and one on the African Tour. So, plus three on the Challenge Tour, not that long ago in 2019 as well. So, very good player. And like you say, like a four or five hundred to one, like you're just fighting out. Like if you've seen him grinding away on a Monday before even the tournament starts, he's obviously taking it seriously, and that's what you like to see. And if he gives a bit of a Spanish resort vibes, like you said, then that's obviously going to favour him as well based on his past. So, mm. yeah, I thought that's an interesting one to there. Um, moving us on to Pebble Beach then. Uh, I am ready for these kind of multi-course rotations to uh, to, to vanish. Um, mainly speaking because I, I do these first-round leader articles and trying to actually go course by course and player by player to see where they shot these 65 and 66s each week is, uh, is quite mind-numbing in the end. But it does present... It, it, it actually helps me. It, it focuses me in like a like a Sepp Stracker plays okay at the Amex, but he plays really well on a stadium course, and he plays okay at the Farmers, but plays really well on the South course where people don't. And one of my picks this week, I, I'm going to go into plays well at Spyglass Hill, which I think is a, is a big factor. But Patrick Cantlay is the eight to one favourite. I don't think anyone would be arguing with that. Daniel Berger fourteen to one. Salatorius we touched upon at eighteen to one. Jordan Spieth, Jason Day at twenty to one. And then Maverick Manili and Justin Rose at twenty eight to one. This was probably the most predictable top of the board in a while. Um, very easy to know that that Cantley was going to be favourite. If he was ten to one, I think there'd be a lot of people betting on him. So the bookies obviously don't want to take a chance on him. Daniel Berger, I thought, was an interesting price because he's actually got the win that Cantley hasn't in the course form. He's first, fifth, and tenth, I think it is, in the three starts here. So. To me, like I don't know what Daniel Berger needed to do more to be to be a slightly shorter price than that fourteen to one. I don't. I'm not going to be on him because I just generally don't get to fourteen and ten to one very often. But I was quite surprised he was that little bit bigger than Cantley. Yeah, I, the only thing um, I, I didn't see much of the golf on the Saturday. Neil Neil watched it rather than me. But um, the, the kind of the, the, the vibe I had back from him was that Berger looked like he was carrying a knock. Um, yeah, and, and I don't know. I, I'll just speak to Neil obviously later in the week. But um, if he's still kind of carrying a, a niggle, then that could be the reason, I guess, why why he's almost twice the price. Um, 
but yeah, in terms of like, you know, he was phenomenal down, down the stretch last year, wasn't he, to get that win? And he's obviously got a couple other top tens as well. Um, so if you if you take the injury out of it and you just assume that he's fit, then yeah, you'd maybe expect him to see a little a little bit shorter in the in the betting. But um, I, I guess maybe the fourteen factors in the the fact that he's maybe carrying kind of niggle and he's not quite a hundred percent. He was he was clutching at his back a couple of times last the tee shots and people were sort of saying I don't know what he's doing out there. But he you know went on to shoot sixty eight seventy one over the weekend, which just made me think that it was temporary or it can be managed or whatever. I mean, Patrick Cantley has his, his back problems, right? That's yeah. Been for a lot of his career. So, um, yeah, one, one to keep an eye on. Certainly, I think this is, again, where it sort of values. He's not going to go much shorter, so you could wait until the rest of the week to see if one of you might withdraw and two, um, whether he's, there's anything positive. Someone's bound to ask him in, in kind of a press conference. You can kind yeah. of get an answer from there, right? Um, so that's the kind of value to that. Um Zalatoris, we kind of mentioned. I think that I think his course form will put people off a little bit, but it shouldn't do. Like he played well here for a couple of rounds in 2018 on debut, and then kind of fell away. And last year was kind of a nothingness. It was a, it was a long run for him. Um, but I'm not going to be backing up 18 to one, so I think it's a waste too much time. Jordan Spieth and, and Jason Day now are, are course horses, if you like. Yeah. Um, Spieth's obviously got the win. Jason Day hasn't, but is absolutely automatic here every year. Um, the answer to me to to speed is no. And have I seen enough from him recently to suggest that he can come and contend here? He's played poorly before and finished ninth here. Um, but I don't I don't necessarily think he's anywhere near even that. And uh, I'd be quite happy to leave him alone. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you in terms of Zalatoris and Spieth. Um, happy to to kind of strike a line through them. Although I could see. Zalatoris winning 18 to 1 is just too short to kind of get involved yeah. with the, the reasons that we, we kind of spoke about earlier on uh, in the podcast. Um, and, and like you say, Spieth is just not not like what I'm interested in at the moment um, in terms of where his game's at. J- Jason Day was one that, you know, like he says, his course form can't really be ignored. I thought it was interesting that he wasn't um, he wasn't more confident in his post-round press conference when he was talking about the swing changes. Um, he, he was kind of suggesting that it was still a work in progress albeit he was pleased with the the changes and how things were going um he still kind of seemed to suggest that it was an ongoing process and and maybe you know maybe his swing wasn't quite where, where it needs to be um and, and for that reason i would probably look at the, you know i might get involved if i'm in running but certainly from the outset i thought the 20s was maybe just a bit on the short side um but that but that's one of those ones you could look foolish come Sunday <laughs> yeah I mean I, I just think that like it's been a long time since Jason Day is going to have played the calibre of golf that makes him favourite so 20 to 1 is basically the lowest that he could be in this field with Cantley and Berger there uh, with, with, and I, I can't if anyone said to me can Jason Day win this week I'm not going to say no but like you say that there is a, there's still an ongoing process we had it kind of like I don't know if it was 2020 or 2021, but he had that kind of run on those the the, the course that he sort of lives by or lives on um, at the work day and the memorial back to back. We finished yeah. seventh and fourth, didn't he? And we all got excited. Then he went on to finish sixth at the St Jude, fourth at the PGA, and then he just went away for ages again. And the worry is that he's going to do that. It just might be that he. I I can definitely see him just finishing top ten, just keeping that kind of run of form up. Um, at this golf course and people thinking oh he had a chance on Sunday and should we have bet him and I I, just, I don't need to like I just 
I don't need to be sweating over 20 to 1 golfers at Pebble Beach in general, right? I think that that's why I wouldn't take Berger, even if he was fully fit, because I just don't need to. When you start getting into these 28 to 1s and 30s with McNeely, Rose, Power, Tringali, then I think you've got a decision to make, because I think that 28 to 1 on Rose, when he's shown basically the same sort of thing as what Day's been doing, right? He's been coming back to form, both former world number ones, both major champions. Uh, Maverick Manili, big course form here. Um, those guys, you start to have to... And everyone's everyone's going to be on Maverick Manili, right? So those type of golfers, then, I think you have to make a choice on a 28-1, whereas I think the choice is almost made for you uh, by the bookmaking pricing below that. Yeah, I, 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 think, that's, I think that's a fair call, um, Tom. I think that he's one of those ones as well that... Um, d- yeah, back injuries, you know, long pro-am rounds. I know he's got a good record here in the past, but I, th- I think there's just too many, too many uncertainties. That, that was the thing I said earlier, and sorry to cut you off, is because it surprises me how well he does here. And I know everyone makes the joke that it suits him because he loves playing slow, so the seven hour rounds suit him, right? But that's a lot of pressure on your back, especially on a windy day on the cliffs. Like I know it's not the most physically demanding walk, but any anyone walking for as long as they have to and yeah. watching amateurs hack around and, and whatever like it it does actually surprise me that he plays as well as he does here and as often as he does yeah that absolutely is it's, it's, a, it's a real riddle isn't it that, um, <laughs> you know but i guess jason diaz that kind of that personality isn't it he is, that, yeah uh, you know once he takes a liking to somewhere that seems to be it um but yeah, he's just he's just a bit short, I think. Like you know, you get you get plenty of opportunity to back him, likely in play. Um, and, and yeah, if he wins on Sunday, it'll be one of those ones. I think where I think, well, could I have backed him? Yeah, probably. But um, we'll, we'll we'll move on. I think to others. I think happy to happy to overlook him for the time being. Yeah, I won't beat myself up if he wins. I'll just I'll just take it as a it was there and I decided not to take it. Like it's not one of those ones where like I missed something or I had a really strong opinion against him. Like if I said to you, I'm going to completely fade Jordan Spieth because I don't trust his, his, his current form and his, his eyes off the ball and everything like that. And then he won. Then I'd, I'd think, okay, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying Jason Day or even Jordan Spieth can't win. I just, I don't think the, the, the situation presents like Jason Day for all of his course form is absolutely brilliant. So doesn't won here, right? <laughs> the, the, no, the best not. chance he ever had to win uh, he lost to Ted Potter Jr. So I know Dustin Johnson was in the same camp, but you know that that kind of says everything about this event. That I think needs to be said. Um, the earliest I came to thinking about backing someone was Seamus Power. Um, obviously, he had that win recently, last you know, towards the end of last year. Then just went on an absolute tear, getting towards the top fifty in the world or inside the top fifty in the world now. Um, obviously, let people down at the Amex. It was terrible on Sunday after he was going in the final round two behind. 30 to 1 was probably about my limit, and, I, and I've started my card at 50s. But uh, any opinions on kind of like this group of power, Tringali or Fitzpatrick? Yeah, so Power's, power's on the naughty list uh, for us as well. We were <laughs> on power for that unfortunate um, incident at the AMX when um, yeah. looked, looked for, you know, didn't look for all the world like, like he was going to win, but he was certainly in a fantastic, fantastic 100%. position. Yeah. Um, and then just didn't turn up. Just absolutely, um, you know, just. Just a terrible Sunday performance. Um, so I, I could I could see, uh, given his current form and, and the way that he's a completely different player, I would kind of almost disregard past form, um, past form at the event. You know, he's got a pretty ropey record uh, in, in this event. But I think that given 
how he's developed as a player in the past 12 months, I'd almost be willing just to write that form off as, as being a different player entirely. And yeah. I'd almost give him a blank slate and say, you know, this is the player that he is uh, in 2022. So I, I wouldn't rule him out at 30 to 1. Um, Cam Tringali is one of these guys, again, that I, I really struggle to back um, at these kind of odds. He's just not, not a winner, quite frankly. Um, and, and he may well be one of these guys that, that suddenly once he wins, he'll, he'll go on and win multiple times. But at, at 30 to 1, you know, that kind of range, it's just it's just not for me at all. And then you've got kind of Fitzpatrick in that range as well, who's, who's making his debut um, after tinkering about with his swing over the winter, albeit he clarified and said he wasn't making big swing changes, but he was making, you know, minor swing changes. And... Um, I'm happy to pass him over as well. So there wasn't really anyone in that kind of that kind of 30 range. I thought Justin Rose is maybe a bit short. Um, I was on, we were on Maverick McNeely last week, and again he he had a poor final round um, and, and really let us down. So everyone in that range, I'm I'm happy to skip over. There's not really been any any strong interest. Yeah, I mean, like, I I completely agree with you in terms of Seamus Power right that. I, and this is what led to me sort of backing him at the Saudi Open, which he nearly won, and it sort of back with Amex, is that you have to just completely treat him as a different... It's almost like a new player, right? Like almost like a Corn Freeze or graduate. Anything he's done over the last five years, unless it's positive, just ignore it, because he just he's just completely changed. So the temptation was there, because I think it would suit him, but a 30-1, to 1, I just... I don't really need the stress of, of another Sunday like it was before. Cameron Trugali completely agree with everything you said. Like I think he could go and do what Luke List done last night and win a tournament. Like yeah. from you know, come and shoot sixty six on Sunday, get himself in a playoff and win it. Um I think that's definitely in the realm's possibility. But Luke List was kinda of ninety to one and Cameron Trugali's thirty. And I know yeah. the field's a lot weaker, but I actually with these types of golfers now, I, I actually want them in a stronger field where the price is 125, 150, hundreds, whatever. Yeah. Uh, because of the each way built in each way value and the chance that if they do you know get it done when when they absolutely can that that happens um i wanted to back kevin streelman the first kind of price that came out was was 35s and, and 40s and i wasn't really interested in that i'm still not that interested in the 50s like i think there's a lot of built-in course form for that and i've actually gone with kevin kisner instead um i think kevin kisner surprised me because i thought he was terrible at the end of of 2021 i know he obviously got that win at Wyndham, but i think he basically just went okay well i've won again so whatever and, and sort of put the clubs down got into his hunting uh and and really did look poor for it and then he finished eight for the tournament champions which is just an event he has no real right in contending in um then he finishes third at the sony which obviously is a course that does suit and i really like the Wyndham as a kind of crossover and, and i've written a kind of a massive piece up for an old show i'm not going to bore everyone with it because it's probably irrelevant but there just seems to be a lot of crossover in terms of the winners and a lot of that would be field strength but a lot of it is you know when you look at some of the people on there and the names it's a lot of strange people kicked up from that as well so he's got the win at the Wyndham he plays well there every other year as well he's got a 10th uh, here in the past and 8th and 22nd his last two in strokes gained approach um, in addition to his 10th in 2015 he was actually 28th here in 2019 he was 3rd after day 1 and 8th after 36 so He's kind of been in contention like multiple times. And I also like the Greenbrier as a link, which is an event we don't even see on tour anymore. So it's hard to, to kind of dig in for a lot of these players. But 2010 to 2019, that was on there. And uh, he had a playoff us there as well. So for me, like Kevin Kisner kind of ticks a lot of boxes at 50 to 1. But 
Although Kevin Strillman's kind of got the the superior cause from, I think Kevin Kisner is is the more reliable option. Yeah, no, I think Kevin Kisner once he um once he gets in form, he's one to watch, isn't he? And yeah. especially you know you know he's got that thing that that kind of statement, doesn't he? Where he says that uh, he, he can't compete on the longer courses, and you know he only really focuses on those those events that are in his wheelhouse. Um, and and this obviously is right up his street, isn't it? You know, it's 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 perfect for him. I'm I'm surprised that he hasn't done better better here in the past you know like you look yeah at, if you take that 10th out um and, and you look at the rest of the results it's really you know quite average isn't it um but whereas you would think this would be a like in a setup that would be a be a bit more made for him um but but given his recent form i, I wouldn't discount him at all in the 50s so i think he's a guy that needs the right program partner and the reason i say that is you listen to him talking in any podcast he does or any interviews he's one of these like proper I don't want to say a redneck, right? He's not a redneck, but like he he just has his way of life and his opinions and he doesn't really care about anything and he's quite laid back. And if he can get someone that's happy to sit there and talk about beers and hunting and, and a little yeah. bit of golf, then he's absolutely delighted. If he's got, um, you know, a CEO stiff that wants to help him with his swing uh, every round, he probably gets fed up. So I think actually that the pro-am factor can be a huge... I mean, I don't know who his pro-am partner was when he finished 10th and when he was leading up or close yeah. to leading up to 36 holes, but that could be something that we see with Kevin Strillman. He loves playing with Larry Fitzgerald. Like, he might get a guy this year that absolutely loves playing with. Like, if he could go and get the Barstool guy out and, and play with him, he'd be absolutely delighted. So, <laughs> um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see how that happens. The next one for me was Lanto Griffin, and I went with him last week because of his kind of course form at Tory Pines. And for a few rounds, it, it looked terrible. But the final round, he shot 65, which is the round of the day. Uh, second consecutive week of ranking 12th in strokes gain approach, which again, as I've said, I don't, I'm trying not to get too caught up in, but I do think it's a good barometer. And he was the one I mentioned. I said that he's played Spyglass Hill really well. Um, he shot a 67 here. Um, at Spyglass Hill in 2020 it was actually the second best round of the day. Patrick Cantley shot 66 there. Um, that's only one course to go by, but normally when I do these kind of course correlation things, there's, there's a there's a link to the whole event. But the two guys that designed Pebble Beach and Monterey Peninsula basically didn't design anything else. Um, whereas um, you know Spyglass Hill was designed by Robert Trent Jones Senior, who actually designed the course that he'd won on. Um, you know, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay. And then when he won at the Houston Open on the PJ Tour, that was actually by Reese Jones, who's uh, Robert Trent Jones's son. So he obviously has a bit of a liking for those kind of layouts. So to me, I see Lanto going lower and, and gaining a few strokes, kind of like three or four strokes on that Spyglass Hill to the field. And then being, you know, the form that he's in with the three top sevens that he's had and the 65 on Sunday, that he can just kind of take advantage of the scoring rounds uh, of Monterey Peninsula and uh, Pebble Beach. So... That's kind of a getting stuck in my old ways with the, the course correlations a bit, but also just focusing on the fact that he's actually in really solid form and played well in the past. Yeah, like his stats the last couple of weeks have been fantastic, haven't they? Yeah. Um, you know, he's bang on form and, and obviously a, a real threat. Um, you know, ninth uh, place finish here was excellent as well. Um, what, 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 there's a lot to like about Lanto, and, and that was when I left the, one of the first names that, that uh, Neil and I could imagine the earlier exchange. And Neil, uh, when Neil's first uh, names was Lanto, um, he, he really liked him this week, and, and I, I think there's a lot, a lot to like. Um, whether like 
his price seems to be coming in a bit now. I was just look at odds checker whether whether he's he's coming in, you know, he's drifting below that fifty mark. Whether whether I'd still be as keen on him at forty. He's one of those ones that I'd probably want fifties to to mm. have to have that kind of price on him to have that value. Um, forties perhaps is for me getting a little bit short, but you know, he's got fantastic stats and uh, he's clearly playing playing top golf at the moment. So um, yeah, one to watch. He's one of those ones where I don't particularly need to rely on the each way value. Like, I actually believe he can win this golf tournament. And like in my head, this is kind of like a tournament where you can get some long shot winners. But I was yeah. I was uh, kind of thoughtful of the fact that I didn't want to go too much in that direction because when you look at it, there are some from the top. And I, when I looked like, okay, well, I want someone from the top of the market. Like Kisner and Griffin for me were like kind of like perfect balance between not going too short with the, the days and the speeds and the roses and actually just getting some really nice value, 50 to 1 on two guys that have won on tour, Kisner obviously more often, and, and just two people that suit the golf course. Um, this, again, this is like a bit like Rasnow, where this kind of taught this range of 55 to 1 and right up into 100 to 1, Duncan, there's, there's just so many names. I mean, I've got Tom Hoagie in here uh, as my next pick, just... You know, he's burnt me at the Sony Open, burnt loads of people at Tory last week, but spite weeks at the, the RSM where he was fourth and second at the Amex. Um, and he was actually second after 54 holes here last year, which was two behind Jordan Spieth. And he only made one really bad swing on the 18th hole uh, to cost him a top 10 last year. He's got that link at Greenbrae. He was second. Um, he was second at the Amex, as I just mentioned. Top threes at Hawaii and Maiko, a bit of coastal form there as well. So just don't need to like about Tom Hoagie, but I think there's probably a lot here, Duncan, that you may have considered in your first sort of peruse of the board. Yeah, yeah, like Tom Hoagie is one of those um, golfers that uh, Neil and I constantly bicker about. <laughs> he's probably, he's, in fact, he's probably the golfer that we most fight about in terms of um, how how we both perceive him. Uh, similar to Moronk, uh, Tom uh, Neil was very much a Tom Hoagie advocate, um, <laughs> and, and I am well. No, well, let's just see. Maybe I should have got Neil on. He, he seems to be agreeing <laughs> with me, and uh, and, and you uh, you take the opposite side. But no, but that's good though because it was weird because I've spoken to Tom Hoagie right, and and, and I, I guess I try not to let that come into it because it's slightly different to the Ollie Wilson thing, whereas Ollie Wilson goes off four hundred to one, whereas Hoagie's going off at hundreds and shorter. Like, yeah. but he is like he he has that. Part of the, his strength of the game is irons and wedges, which is really, really important in these events, especially the scoring holes. He can take advantage. So he's got he's got the right skill set, and he's a decent driver of the ball in his day. Can't contend everywhere, which is fine, because you just pick five or six events a year that, that you're happy to go with him on and, and stick to those. It's just whether you believe you can get over the line. And speaking to him, like when he lost that in Hawaii, um, he, he picked the wrong club, and that was basically it. It wasn't like pressure or anything like that. He, he just put his hands up and said he made a mistake, overreacted from the day before. Um, so I do think he's someone that can win on tour. But like you say, I do take on board that, that maybe he's getting too short in the market for, for someone that hasn't won. I think for me, like I'd sum up by saying, well, in my head, he's a poor man's Cameron Tringali. Um, <laughs> um, and then, that's you know, never so, that's never a good thing to be. <laughs> he's had a lot of chances, um, and, and I think that there, there comes in my in my kind of perception there comes a point where if a guy has had enough chances and, and yeah. repeat, repeatedly doesn't take them, then I want big enough odds to compensate me for for that element of doubt that I've got. Um, and, and like Tringali, I, I never feel that I'm getting that 
that kind of buffer that I need, that kind of comfort level that I need um, from Hoagie to, to to kind of make them feel like value. I always feel like if you, like especially this week, if you're getting sixty sixes, um, for me that like that just doesn't come with the the kind of necessary like buffer this kind of like cushion that I, that I would want from Tom Hoagie. Um, if he's a hundred to one, that's different and maybe he starts to become interesting. Um, but yeah. I, I just I just kind of don't have that confidence in him getting the job done, and then you're looking at each way places, and which is fine, you know, it's 66 yeah, to yeah. each way place isn't isn't disastrous, but then I start thinking, well, if I'm thinking only each way, am I then taking someone at 100 to one who's got maybe just as much chance of getting an each way place, and let my eyes start getting diverted down the board, um, but have Neil on next time and you get a completely different answer, so that would yeah. be yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think like. To me, like the the perfect sort of pivot from someone like Tom Hoagie, he's got hundreds one. It's like a Ches Reeve or a Matthew Neesmith. Like both of them just got these like iron play. Um, you know, Charles Schwartz has had success here in the past in one start. Like all of them have just kind of got that kind of ability to get hot with the irons, and and it basically comes down to their putter. So I can completely see the point of view. Maybe the Hoagie thing's a bit of a, a FOMO bet that like it feels like it's going to happen and, and hasn't, yeah. and I want to be on board when it does. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think like in that in that kind of category, I mean, like the one the one that I really like liked was was Lucas Glover. Um, yeah. J- just by the way he's been playing in his last couple of starts, uh, he's got a couple of good finishes um, at Pebble. It, it it just feels like he's one of those guys that uh, you know after his win last year that I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him win again this year. Um, and, and when he gets those irons firing, he's he's someone that I, I quite like to follow. Um, and I thought the eighty to one in the field was was pretty reasonable, to be honest. Um, and he was kind of one of my standouts in that kind of category. Um, the, the the other one that was kind of in that category, and not so much for course form, but more that he's a form horse and someone I like to follow. Um, after a good result was Brian Harmon. Um, yeah. I, I thought the six days was was maybe you know a reasonable reasonable price on him. Um, you look back through Brian Harmon's career, you, you'll see that um, you know if he gets on a hot run of form, he, he generally keeps it up for for two or three weeks in a row. Um, and based on that third third uh, finish, third place finish um, at the Amex, I thought he might be one one of interest. You know, it's just that kind of player that once he gets hot with his wedges and the putter gets going, um, he's a potential a potential one of interest. He was he's one of those people that I've always thought with Brian Harmon that. Because he had those kind of finishes where he contended that US Open back in 2017 and won the Wells Fargo and went well at the players. Like, I've always thought that like there's been a baked-in part of his price for a long length of time based on those performances, and I felt like it's been factored in for too long. And he his figures were so good last year in terms of irons at one point that like he was just getting backed and backed and backed, and he was a fancy darling. He was getting picked and picked and picked, and like I was just like, it's just not going to win. And then all of a sudden he went off the boil when his prices start coming out and you think, oh, I can start looking back at Brian Harmon now. Bang, yeah. third place finish at the Amex and he's he's back into 60s. So that, or 50s even generally. So I think that was my thing with Brian Harmon. Like he just, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily represent value. And you talk about Lucas Glover, right? And people will dog on Lucas Glover for a multitude of reasons. And mainly it's his putting. 
this is a guy that's won four times in on on the PJ Tour, and one of them being a major. And I know yeah. you can argue how the major come about, but winning a major is a major, and if you, especially if you're going back up with a victory two years later, and then another one another decade later on top of that, like. You look at the people he's beat: Ryan Moore and Kevin Knight at John Deere Classic. Jonathan Burbers, a decent player, Wells Fargo in 2011. Beat Phil Mickelson, obviously in that U.S. Open, famously uh, stealing another one from him. Like, probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves because he's just got that glaring weakness in his game, and everyone knows that he's going to hit his irons well, miss the parts, and it's going to be a seventh place finish, and it's going to be eleventh, and it's going to be twelfth. But eventually, as it happened at the John Deere Classic, which you know is all about your wedges and short irons. Um, he, he just spike and win. Yeah, he's, he's just a, he's just an unfashionable player, isn't he? You know, he's, yeah. he's a great player to have in match bets or um or, or you know three ball bets or something like that. Um, but I, I think like my criticism would always been that he didn't win, he didn't win often enough, perhaps for his for yeah. his talent. Um, but you know that that win at John Deere last year was was really impressive, and you know like getting the job done there. I thought, well, you know maybe that's just the the, the kind of step that he needs to to go on and win again um and, and given that he's got a couple of good finishes here at pebble in the past and, and the way he's striking the ball the last couple of weeks um i i thought 80s was was pretty reasonable considering the, you know the company that, that that some of the other players in that kind of category i thought that um i thought that was pretty fair but yeah obviously once you take the 80s out from from one of the bookies you're you're kind of down in that 66 70 range um and again then you're thinking do i want them you know, do I want to take the chance on his putter working at, at that level? Um, but certainly at 80s, he's one that piqued my interest. Yep, absolutely. I've got just two more that I really want to dive into, and then the rest we can kind of just mention some names. But um, the next man up for me in my preview was uh, Braden Harkins. Uh, yeah. He's a guy that obviously won on the Confro Tour last year, uh, last week, sorry. Um, he's, and he had some good finishes here in the past, like that were kind of out of character for him. When that happens, it kind of grabs my attention. Like he was fifteenth here. Uh, I think it was way back in sort of like 2018. It was um, no, it wasn't. It was it was way before that. And and then like he's had two really good finishes here, fifteenth and twenty eighth in relation to his level. And then I liked the Wyndham Championship, and he had a tie fifteenth hit there as well. You add that to the fact that he's got that kind of confidence from winning on the Corn Ferry Tour last week, first sort of win uh, at that level in sort of windy tough conditions. Um, career builder he's finished 8th so he doesn't mind the sort of pro-am format he's played well at Tory Pines he's finished 12th like when you look at like as a whole like Brandon Hawkins has, has done some things that you know you really wouldn't have expected him to have achieved and all of a sudden I was going to say Tom I'll give you a, a, a Brandon Harkins uh, tip that will strengthen your, strengthen your position even more so he I don't know if you're um if you've seen that Pebble Beach Invitational that they play yeah, yeah, yeah. towards the yeah. end, but, but he won that uh, last year. Yeah, that, uh, that's what tipped me over the edge. That's, yeah, yeah, that's he, what made me go. It went in because he won that, and and it was a decent field there as well, wasn't it? Like I know yeah. these it was like Alex Checker and Harry Hall that he actually beat, and I think he had a seven shot lead at one point during that seven, second round as well. He played the back nine and um, twenty eight shots. He, he parred yeah. the he parred the tenth hole and then he birdied eight the, the next eight holes in a row. Um, so I, I don't know what it is about Pebble Beach that that he loves so much, but it, you know, given he's got two good finishes at this event and he obviously won that in pretty impressive fashion, uh, there must be something about Pebble Beach that it just uh, just floats his boat. Yeah, and just also like the 
He's got a coach uh, in Pebble Beach. He's, he's, he's got the master instructor of Pebble Beach as the guy that he's been working with. So that obviously uh, just helps a lot of the things as well. So for me, just there was just plenty to like about him. Like I just I just thought, considering those kind of spike weeks that he's had here uh, in relation to kind of his general form, uh, was plenty enough to get me excited. And uh, I kind of went with him. It, it, it's getting to the point where because people know about that kind of Pebble Beach Invitational, it does... It does nip into the price a little bit, maybe, and yeah. the fact he won last week. I think if he didn't win last week, I wouldn't be interested. So it, it has to factor into the price because it factors into my line of thinking. Yeah. Um, and then the last guy that's certainly come in uh, over the last uh, couple of hours is Grayson Sig. Uh, he was 150 to 1 when I put out my uh, odds checker preview, and he's now come into, um, into about 80 to 1. But he's just a guy that... Um, it's just it's just been playing well, like solidly throughout the the season uh, since he's got onto the PJ Tour. Uh, obviously had that two win season last year. He's famously part of that kind of Georgia Bulldog group that everyone talks about so often. And he's playing well at courses you weren't really you know necessarily expecting to. Like thirty fourth last week, but like Kevin Shrewman, just not expected to play well there. Didn't really do much at the the Shriners and the Fortinet, but again thirtieth, forty seventh, best finish so far. Twenty second was in the wind at the Bermuda. 25th for the Amex, which again is on the Poana. It's in the you know the three course rotation and and the uh, the pro am format. So all of those things kind of added to that. And then another one who's got previous at Pebble Beach. He won the Carmel Cup as an amateur here, um, ranked 12th over the last 15 weeks in strokes gain approach. So to me, just a guy that we we presume likes these kind of shorter um, you know tests with the the wedges and the irons coming to the fore. I really like Grayson Sig to go well this week. Yeah, we put him up as one of our five to watch uh, this year yeah. on the, the PGA Tour. We, we were really big, big fans as well. Um, you, you know, it's just one of those guys. He, he's a bit like that kind of Brian Harmon size. He's quite small. Uh, <laughs> I think he's like five foot seven or, or something like that. Um, but he's something like some of the other players that down down in Georgia. You know, I think they described him as a stud. Um, I, I mean, you've got other players talking about, you know, uh, guys like Sink as, as potential studs. And you know you got to sit up and, and take some notice. Um, so I, I like him a lot. I think he's one that um, could, could well win win this year. Um, and like you say, he's got a lot a lot going from this year. Uh, this week, sorry. Um, is it, there seems to be like a huge differential in price, isn't there? On, on his hmm. hundred twenty five, yeah. a bit three six five, but a general eighties uh, elsewhere. Um, would be probably quite reasonably happy to take him at hundred twenty fives. But again, he's one of those ones that. Once you start eating into that eighty kind of categories, yeah, yeah, oh, I agree with that. If yeah. if he was eighties to start, I'd have just gone okay. Well, he's he's not been missed, type yeah, yeah. because he opened up at that one fifty. Uh, really liked him, uh, Duncan. Was there any more that you kind of really liked at Pebble? I mean, there, there's just a ton of names here, and I, I'm quite aware of the time that we've already spent. I don't want to just go sort of one by one, but I certainly want to hear your picks uh, if you've got any yeah. in that range. Yeah, no, there's a couple, a couple in the kind of 100, 125 kind of range that, that kind of stood out on, on first look. Uh, Nick Taylor uh, is one who seems to have caused us uh, all kinds of problems in the past. We never seem to get <laughs> Nick Taylor right. Um, but, you know, his iron play has been, been pretty solid the last couple of weeks. I think he's been top 30 uh, stroke in approach uh, in, in both of his last two starts. Obviously, a past, past winner here. Um, the, the kind of guy that, you know, you could well see winning again, or certainly I could well well see winning again. Um, and, and given that his game seems to be in a good spot, I thought that 110 w- w- was a pretty decent price price on him. 
Um, and then the other that I liked in this category was Scott. Well, so there was two others. There was Scott Stallings and, and Pat Perez. Um, Pat Perez's stats last week were were fantastic. Um, you know, he's been working on changing his swing a little bit, and it seems to be that that, that change of swing has worked. I think there's a little bit of a different punch stroke um, as well, um, and obviously a couple of good finishes here in the past. And I just thought may, maybe it's worth chancing him following um, following last week's performance. Um, and, and Stallings is a bit like Nick Taylor as well, and that you can sometimes get lured in by a good performance the week before, and he sometimes. Uh, Sometimes can be a bit difficult to, to catch right, but you know, given his record here, um, I, I think that the odds were, were more than fair. Um, and, and and he was one again that kind of stood out on, on first first look, yeah. No, I think I think they're, they're great, you know. I think there's just I think we say quite a lot on this podcast, like <clears throat> once there's kind of people at this range, you, you don't need an awful lot that you like about them right like it, it needs to be sort of one or two things that that can really kind of grab your attention you know davis riley has been hitting the ball quite nicely and and is another one that gets to, like will's had obviously he's like one of the best ball strikers ever seen like you get like nick hardy's played well in the past like there's just i don't have a strong enough opinion down here because i think that although i don't want to go directly to the top of the board i, I think that that kind of mid-range of the 50s, 60s that we talked about was probably the, the range I expect to see the winner coming from. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, I would not... like There is pretty much no outcome that would really, truly surprise me here. And you've got, like, the Jonathan Birds of this world that are coming back into, like, the four. And you've got, like, the Kurt Kitayamas that have got high upside at 400. Luke Donald's been hit the ball well 400. Bill Huss 400. Like, there's just these random multitude of names that could just happen and i don't want to try and rely on that but maybe if you wanted to fire some bullets on the exchange then certainly i'd advise on that but um duncan before we get you out here i just want to sort of touch upon the the saudi international um a lot less in depth on this one because of the time i've kept you already but um (laughs) dustin johnson is obviously the overwhelming favorite there at 15 to 2 that's because he's finished second uh and first twice in three starts Xander Schoffler, 11 to 1, Tyrrell Hassan, 12 to 1, Cameron Smith, 12 to 1, Sergio, 14, Finau, 16, and Bryson, 16. Was there anyone that you attempted to take at the top of the board or thinking about? I, I think the only, the only, I mean, I've only had a brief look at this so far, but the, the only one that, uh, the only player I really kind of like on, on first look is Ian Poulter. Um, yeah. He's got a really solid record in the event. He was on the wrong side of the draw um, last year, and there was a big draw bias. Um, and, and despite that, that that kind of being on the wrong side of the draw, he still posted a top twenty, uh, you know, before four rounds under par. Um, I, I think that you know he's been on he's been on record so far this year saying he, he's sharp, given that his son is now is now giving my good game at home, uh, yeah, up and um, you know getting those competitive juices going. And when when Ian's got those competitive juices and he's you know he feels like he's he's, he's sharp and uh, he's got a point to prove. He's obviously a dangerous prospect. So um, I think uh, he, he was 40 odds, I think, from when I looked this morning. I don't know if he still is yeah, there. still is. Yep, still there uh, now. But, but so I thought, I think given his record, I thought that was fair. I think that's a really good point about his son as well, because not only is he sort of getting a, sort of a, a match against him at home, but like, and this is narrative-based and, and a lot of people don't like that, but his his son needs a role model, right? And it, it, Ian Potter's always going to want him to be his role model. Like He's always going to want... and if he doesn't win while his kid's heavily involved in the game and going through college and that sort of stuff, 
it's very hard for him to say, look, I can still do it, now is your time to do it, type of thing. And yeah. He doesn't want to have to go to rely on YouTube to go and look back at some really nice... Like, I remember a really beautiful moment between them at the Ryder Cup in Paris where he, he's sort of grabbing his face and talking to him like that, and that's why you need to go out and practice. And, like, and it feels like a pivotal moment. And now I think, like, if he can just get a win and, he, and his son's there and he can go, right, this is why you need to knuckle down at college, I think that that's the sort of thing that we're driving Ian Poulter now, like... He's got his fame, he's got his money, he's got his house, his family, really happy family, all that sort of stuff. Like He's got everything he needs in his life. He knows he's never going to be world number one. That was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the days of him um, sort of batting above his uh, grade and contending for majors, I would say, are gone. Um, but he can still win a tournament like this. And and he will get so much from contending in a tournament like this against Dustin Johnson, Xander Schauffele, etc. So I do like him. Um, I liked him last week. And, uh, and and obviously he didn't put the performance in, but you know th- these things happen. It's only a one week basis. I loved Joaquin Neiman when he opened up a forty to one this morning. I don't know if you saw any of that, got any of that, um, but that was a ridiculous price. Um, it's long gone. I think it was kind of mispriced. Yeah. Um, he's now kind of there at kind of twenty two to one. So I'm glad I got him on the exchanges at kind of like forty six number. Um, Kevin Nara took here last year, and he just managed to find every inch of sand. Uh, on the golf course, loved the bunkers, kept sort of kicking himself out of there, and, and and that kind of cost him a really good week. I think he was fourth after round two, shot sixty three. Yeah. Um. So I like I like Kevin Nar still. I think he's he's a good player. I was surprised that Kokrak was kind of forty to one given his profile, but it's one of those ones where I don't actually like his chances. I just think he's probably a bit of the wrong price. Yeah. Um, Ju Young Kim, I thought it was interesting. I just want to. I want to see what he does this week, and I think the 50 to one is okay considering his current form. Like he's pretty, you know, amazing what he's doing on the Asian tour. Completely different prospect here, but I think whereas he's normally stepped up on the PGA Tour, he's had to travel over to America to play in some events or wherever he's gone to. Mm. Now he's coming over to kind of the Middle East from Asia. It maybe isn't so different. The grass and the past palm might suit him. Mm. So interesting to see what Ju Young Kim does. And then I took a, I took a real wild shot, and this. This person is not going to win, so don't you know? I don't want anyone out there to go and chuck a lot of hard-earned money on him. Um, but Matteo Manassero shot 66 here on his debut in the opening round, followed up with a poor round, Mr. Cut. But there's been signs of him sort of coming back to form over the last year or two uh, on the Challenge Tour, admittedly, and you know he's now kind of trying to get back into that realm of what he was, and he's still young enough to kind of completely bounce back from. The, the hardships that he's been through. Um, so whilst he's kind of like four or five hundred to one, I just thought I might as well just take a plant at him, maybe a little first round leader based on the fact he shot that 66 here uh, on day one, maybe took advantage of some good weather, etc. Um, yeah, no, he's one of that... the sentimental ones, isn't he? You know, of course it is, yeah. Like, I, I watched him win me money at Wentworth and it was like one of the, you know, one of my earliest memories of sort of like really enjoying a, a golf bet and being there and, and seeing it win, so I'll always sort of, he owes me nothing type thing, and yeah. I just really want to see him back, so it's very much more sentimental than a, than a reasoned one, it's just, he's shown a bit of form, and has that 66, and then Bubba Watson was someone that like, he was he was 125 to open, generally 80s about him, or 66s now, and it's, it's a bit shorter, because I don't know what he's doing, I don't think he's the type that can just come off that layoff, and come and beat a Dustin Johnson, of course, where he's finished first, first, second, but I thought it was a big price in a in a non-major, um, so it'd be interesting to see how he goes. And Matthew Wolf would obviously be another one that I, I sort of back most weeks. Was there anyone that you kind of liked in the in the long ranges? 
Um, I, I think, like for me, I'm, I'm waiting on the tea times coming out on this one. Like, yeah. this, is, this is one of these kind of prime examples of an, an event that I'm actually quite interested in. But g- given the way the forecast is, it looks like the guys who are going to play um, Friday afternoon are, are going to be disadvantaged this week. Um, so, so when I kind of see like those weather forecasts, I typically don't, I, I purposely don't try and get too excited about players early on in the week because if I if I can psych myself up and think I'm really interested in him and then he gets landed on the worst side of the draw I often find myself trying to talk myself into oh it'll be okay you know like you'll you'll overcome the the worst side of the draw um and I just kind of like think I don't want to put myself in that position now so even if it means taking you know 10 points off someone um I kind of purposely I purposely wait um what I would say though is that DJ is, a, is an interesting one this week. Not not that I think he's going to win, but I think that it's notable that he's coming from from the farmers um, this past week, uh, and he's got obviously the travel to get over to Saudi. Um, yeah. the, the three times that he's come before, he's had at least a couple of weeks off, and he's had plenty of time to to make his way over. Um, and albeit it might be just a day or two's difference, you know, I'm not saying he's come to Saudi for a holiday. Um, <laughs> But, but I think it's notable that he's obviously finished finished at the Farmers and he's got to now make his way over, um, whereas before he had a bit more of a buffer in terms of travel time. Um, so it may not make any difference, but it's something that I always think when, when you're making the trip from you know the wrong side of America over, yeah. to, over to the Middle East, I think it's something to be factored into. Um, and then you've got Bryson as well with his, with his injury problems. Um, and, and you know whether he pulls it well I'm guessing he's not going to pull out given that he's getting a big fat chunk of yeah um, he, he might at least get one cash. tee shot <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know he would be someone that I'd, I'd look to take on this week um, you know given his given his problems and I still I still am not convinced about the situation with the green reading books uh, with Bryson as well um, so I, I realise I'm not giving you names there Tom I've just talked about people I don't like <laughs> no, no no that's fine I think I think that's a but I think that's an important part of this this tournament, right? Is that generally speaking, we could sit here and name twenty people that can win this tournament, and, and yeah. none of them would just surprise you, right? But it's actually taking the opinions on the DJs, on the Brysons, on the I don't know, the Cameron Smiths and the, and the Shane Lowry's who's hit the ball incredibly well. Like you, you need to form an opinion against these. Like Tommy Fleet was going to have his backers because he hit the ball like Tommy Fleetwood last week, yeah. and he's twenty five to one, but. Is he doing what he needs to do to win a golf tournament against a Dustin Johnson or a Tyrrell Hatton or a Cameron Smith down the stretch? I don't know. Um, so that there's certainly sort of you know opinions to have. So I think that there's one. I don't think the market's very good for the Saudi. I think there's there's some kind of like volatile prices that are not staying where they are, and that doesn't help things. Um, but I think there's kind of a lot to kind of happen there. So. Duncan, I'm going to summarise my picks. Obviously, I know yours are kind of um, you know up in the air, and, and people can check back on the site on Wednesday. Um, but in the Brazil Kamaya, you've got uh, Adrian Moronka at uh, 25 to one, Julian Brun at 60, Marcus Armitage at 50s, um, Frederick Lacroix at 125s, 150s, um, Pebble Beach. I really liked Kevin Kisner at sort of like 50 to one mark, 40s is probably still fine as well. Lanto Griffin, the same scenario with the prices. Tom Hoagie at 60s. Um, Braden Harkins with those little nuggets we've had there at 150s, 125s. And Grayson Sig, now he's coming to that shorter price. I'd probably um, proceed with a little bit of caution. But, Duncan, thank you so much for 
for coming on uh, for me. This uh, it's been really good to chat with you. I've really appreciated your insight into Raz um, Alhamra there, and just you know, really appreciate what you do uh, for the golfing community. Love the website, and uh, really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure coming on. Uh, yeah, great to chat to you, and uh, hopefully um, we have some success this week. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, mate, and uh, we'll catch up soon.